Hello and welcome to Mike and Jeff Fighting Leftists. Or is it? We'll get to that in just a minute, but we've got a pretty good show for you today. We're going to talk about Joe Biden unveiling his new plan for fighting COVID, which seems a lot like meet the old boss, same as the meet the new boss, same as the old boss kind of thing. Uh, we'll talk about cancel culture, which was a fan requested topic. So thank you very much for reaching out. Uh, we've got another fan requested topic, uh, which is the right losing in the media front. And we'll talk about the Daily Wire producing the movie Run, Hide, Fight. And then we'll get into our nerd topic of the week, which is Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Uh, we did a read and watch. So we'll talk comic versus animated film. What's better? What are the differences? All those kind of things. But first, let's talk about that little tease that I just did. So for the past two, three months of this program, um, this is, I believe, our 14th episode. We've been calling ourselves Mike and Jeff fighting leftists. Uh, while we intend to continue to do that, we've decided to make a change a little bit in, in the branding and name of the show. And moving forward, effective immediately, we will be Mike and Jeff writing the right. So why the change? Well, a few things. One, as we've spent the last few weeks talking about what we want to do to really grow this show and um, to continue to, to be more in tune with what the right needs. We realized we've spent a lot of time talking about what the, what the right needs to do differently rather than what the left is doing wrong. Um, so while we're still going to be focused on the problems with the left, the problems with leftism in general in America and what those things can do to hurt our culture, we're going to be a lot more focused on the approach that the conservative movement in America needs to take to combat those things. And we're going to be focused on righting the right. The right has gone way too centrist um, and, and swung too far to the left over recent years in a battle to try and win the, the ever prevalent independent vote that nobody seems to ever be able to win. Um, so we're going to focus on trying to really be conservatives. And so in doing so, we've decided to change our name, change our approach and uh, change all our branding. So effective immediately on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, um, and all of our podcast providers, we are Mike and Jeff writing the right. So you can follow us at MJ writing right on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, YouTube, you will find us as writing the right. And on Apple, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can recommend us to your friends, we will now be Mike and Jeff writing the right. Awesome. Thanks for that, Jeff. Yeah. So I just thought it would be a really good idea to, let's say, put your own house in order before we go out and, and try to fix everything else. So I just, for me personally, I just wanted to focus on fixing us first before we try to, to complain and, and try to fix everyone else. Uh, I think that's a lot of what the left tends to do, where they ignore their own problems and, and only focus on the issues of others. So for me, this is a, a personal way to improve our, our country in more of a positive way and kind of pushing out our ideals instead of trying to just bash the others. That's exactly right. So, and like I said, I don't think format wise, the show's not going to be very different. So for those of you who are listening and, and wondering, Hey, are they going to change their approach? Not a lot. And I'm not going to pull my punches when it comes to the left, but I'm going to be a lot more aggressive on how we can be better in terms of driving conservative ideals in this country. Because as we said last week, the Republican party has stopped caring about that. So this show is going to be focused on that. Yeah. So 
especially if you've been listening for the last few episodes, we've like Jeff has said, we've really been focused on what the right needs to do right instead of what the left is doing wrong. So it'll be more of the same. And don't worry, the comics um, discussion will not go away. That is the one staple. We'll, we'll try to maybe cut it down so it's not sometimes an hour and a half, but we'll see how that goes. We, we may attempt it. It may not go very far. Um, that <laughs> tends to be one of our favorite topics as, as well. But um, again, the show is going to be a lot of the same with maybe a slightly different bent to it. So again, follow us at on Twitter at MJWritingWrite. Uh, also on Instagram under the same handle. You can find us on YouTube, Writing the Right. You can find us on any of the podcast providers that are big as Mike and Jeff, Writing the Right. So Mike, let's go ahead and get into our first topic of the day. Let's talk about Biden and his rolling out. He, Biden recently rolled out a $1.9 trillion plan to fight COVID and, and to revive the economy. It seemed a, pretty familiar to me. What, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, it looks almost like a direct cut and paste from the evil Trump guy. Like they have the $1,400 uh, to, to match the um, the what Trump was wanting to do uh, prior to that. Um, they talk about um, extending the um, federal um, the federal loan ban. Not, maybe not ban, but um, need to pull money uh, or pay for the federal loans. Um, they talk about... Um, What's another one? I really can't think of anything else right at the top of my head. Well, a second. Let me one second look at the executive orders. Yeah. So while um, Mike's pulling up, while Mike's pulling that up. Yeah. So I actually just, got it. Got it right now. So it. yeah. So I'm reading a memo right from Ronald Klain. So and he's the uh, the press secretary, I believe, for um, Biden. Um. So he's he's been it for um, Obama and Biden, and he's also done it for Clinton in gore so he's been around for for quite some time but first um, the memo says on january 21 the president-elect will sign a number of executive actions to move aggressively to change the course of the COVID 19 crisis and safely reopen schools and businesses including by taking action to mitigate spread through expanding testing protecting workers and establishing clear public health standards so you know we already have the clear public health standards from the cdc we always already been focused on helping the medical workers. Um, obviously, we've been boosting um, testing by getting the test the test kits approved from different various companies a lot quicker. Um, Trump's been saying to open schools and businesses uh, since they pretty much were shut down. So I'm not sure what he's planning to do that's different uh, for this COVID-19 um, crisis, as he as they as they call it. What's interesting is that the mayor from Chicago and the, the governor from New York have been calling to reopen everything. And it's interesting, especially because for at least for New York, their cases are still going up. So at least in, in Michigan and other places, the cases have started to, to peak and start coming down. But I'm not sure why um, Andrew Cuomo is, is calling to open up New York City right now with the cases on the rise. I mean, let's be honest, Mike, you, you are sure. Let's let's be honest here. You are sure why he's doing it. And we're all sure why he's doing it. This is the exact same thing we talked about back in the summer um, and in the fall and in the early parts of the winter. This was a politically driven move, movement. And now the political necessity of it is over. Now the necessity is for 
it to look like Joe Biden solved the problem. So it's got to start to go away because you can no, you can no longer hide from the very real economic impacts of these lockdowns or from the mounting studies, which conveniently are all being released right now, days before the inauguration that show oh, yeah. that I, lockdowns I, I, are not effective. I put one on, on Facebook a few days ago. Um, Stan, uh, the Stanford report. Yes, it was Stanford report. So it, it talked about the Stanford report and also talked about two other um, um, two other cases that say the opposite thing. But at least for one of the cases, it mentioned data from um, China and Iran. And China is currently showing, I think, 5,000 deaths total in a country of 1.3 billion, which would mean China has as many deaths as like Alabama or Iowa. So that seems impossible to me. Personally, and I don't. I wouldn't trust the data from China or Iran. Therefore, any um, any study that's using those data is uh, is questionable at best, in my opinion. But and and, and that's the thing. I mean, it's it's become extremely clear that lockdowns don't work. They haven't worked anywhere across the world that they've been used. All the places that have locked down the most tightly are still having massive increases in their cases. Um, we now have new strains that the CDC is already warning that might be rampant through, throughout the U.S. by March if we don't do something about it. Um, come March, we will have an anniversary for 15 days to slow the spread. So I just want to point that out to people that we're now already getting ready for more things that are going to happen in March, which will be the anniversary of something that was supposed to take a little over two weeks. So I, I think it's very obvious why Andrew Cuomo is doing what he's doing, but it also, to your point, Mike is, is just, it's hackish. It's, it's so blatantly obvious that I don't how I don't understand how anyone in the media, anyone in the public, anyone in politics, can still try and push the narrative that COVID is of concern because it's very clearly only concerning to the governors of these cities, these states, the mayors of these cities, when it's beneficial for it to be concerning to them. These same people broke on the, break all their own policies. They are now calling for the lockdowns to end magically, but we've got people out there that I mean, are still- that, They're calling them the end while cases are going up. That's what irritates me. And um, I just wanted to point out that if you look at California versus Texas, so one of like the, the most tightly locked down states versus the one of the most open, I'm guessing Florida is probably more open than Texas. Florida but, is more open than Texas. But they're pretty close. Because DeSantis is a better governor than Abbott. Yeah, but they're, California and Texas are putting up similar uh, numbers right now. So that, you know, there's California is, I think, 10 million more people. But I don't think it's that much. Maybe eight. But I thought California was a lot bigger. I thought California was sitting closer to 40 and Texas was sitting closer to 30 million people. Well, for one thing, we'll see how much that actually is after the census is finalized, because I have a feeling you're going to see Texas become much closer. Um, but as of 20, 2010 census, it's 37 and 25. Um, basic Based on the 2020 census, uh Texas is looking at 29.4 and um, California um, is, let's see, 39. So, okay. So it is about 10 million people um, as of the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as of 
yesterday looking at wardometers.info. Texas had um, 19,545 new cases. California had 37,050. So that doesn't match the differences in population. No, it's um, about a double. It's about double the case count for about one third more people. Yep. And California has um, just not just passed, but California is sitting higher in total deaths right now is 33,000 versus 32,000. Um, so obviously the per capita Texas is still higher. Um, but they're doing New York doing, is doing still similar. higher than New York, by the way, is still higher than both of them with significantly fewer people than both. Yes. So New York is sitting at 2000 deaths per 1 million population with a population estimate of 19 million. And Texas is at 1,125 deaths yeah. per New York has million. nearly double the deaths and they have 10 million fewer people than, than the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Now the argument everyone makes is, well, the population density in Texas is lower. Not really. I mean, it is in parts, but, yeah, but most the of the cities. people in most of the people in Texas live in cities. Most of the people in New York live in cities. Right. So of the uh, the deaths per population, we see New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, South Dakota, Mississippi, North Dakota, Louisiana, and Illinois. Those are the top ten, ranging from twenty three hundred deaths per one million to. 1500 deaths per 1 million. Well, and let's, let's call a spade a spade here as well. I don't want to get too deep into this COVID rabbit hole, but let's call a spade a spade here that the, there have been virtually no reported deaths of the flu this flu season. Um, the COVID case count continues to rise, but the, it, we've already seen project Veritas has released numerous uh, scathing investive investigative journalism reports that show people on camera admitting to coding things as COVID deaths that are not COVID related because it's more beneficial to the hospital. Yeah. It's a, it's a, there's a financial incentive. I think we said this two or three podcasts ago, but there's a financial incentive to say everything's COVID related. Exactly. And if your so, hospital has been banned from le- allowing other elective surgeries, um, you got to make the money, money somewhere. You, you got to make it up. And so that, like I said, like, I don't want to go down too deep into this COVID rabbit hole. I've been very clear about my thoughts on the lockdowns for the very since the very beginning but getting back to joe biden and to what the the left is starting to do i mean biden's plan is no different than what has either already been signed into law in the most recent stimulus package or than what trump proposed and didn't get through the senate now the difference is biden will get it through the senate because mitch mcconnell won't be able to block bringing the 1400 to a vote but that was in the case in the case of writing the right a stupid decision that we talked about at the time. Extremely it was stupid. like Mitch McConnell intentionally lost the election in Georgia. So you know that's going to be the only difference with Biden is he's not going to have to fight his own party. The biggest benefit Joe Biden has with Congress that Donald Trump didn't was not only did he not have any allies on the Democrat side, he had very few allies on the Republican side. True, and so he couldn't get through his legislative agenda. Um, But by and large, Joe Biden's plan is no different than what is either already being done, because he also talked about more assistance for small business, although the big change is he wants to focus it around equity, you know, only only minority and 
um, LGBTQ owned businesses should be getting money instead of, you know, every small business in America that's been shut down by the government. So that's a difference. That's a change. Joe Biden wants to effectively kill um, businesses that aren't checking enough affirmative action boxes. Yeah. So in this memo, he, he mentions equity like four or five times. That, I mean, honestly, that's really the difference. Um, he also wants to bring back the Paris Climate Accords, which were optional to begin with. And which America was... Which we've exceeded our actual request on, yes, even we after we left. I mean, so United States has been decreasing our, our carbon footprint since 2005. I think we had we have a few peaks, a few um, jumps here and there, but that's more related to um, like shifts in the in the cost of of um, different types of energy. So switching from like oil to natural gas, um, or or back, that can adjust the price. Or um, there's one one year where it was extremely cold winter and also. Uh, extremely hot summer. So you have people using their furnace and air conditioning more. But for the most part, we've been declining, including under these four years of of Trump. The reality is no, and and I want to, this is again, off on a tangent, I suppose, but neither party actually cares about the climate either for one. Like people on the left will say that people on the right don't care about the climate. And I will tell you, I really don't care about climate change because I have a number of reasons why I don't, and I could get into that, but I won't. But that's got nothing to do with politics either because the left doesn't care either. The left uses that as a political agenda to try and drive things down and drive other actions like the Paris climate accords, for example, which bind us to doing things and paying things to other countries that we have no reason to be bound to because we can do them on our own unilaterally as we've been doing for the past few years. And the Paris climate accords have no actual enforcement mechanism, which is why India and China don't have to start doing anything until 2030. And by then they won't doing any, be doing anything. And last but not least, if you really cared about the climate, if you were on the left or the right, the one and only answer to solving carbon emissions and solving getting away from oil and energy dependence is nuclear. But neither party pushes nuclear because nuclear has this bad connotation around it. And so you don't see us opening up more nuclear power plants. You don't see us doing any of that. You see us pushing inefficient, ineffectual methods like solar and wind power, which are not ever going to be valuable enough to dry to build enough energy capacity for North America, especially when you bring on the added load of electric cars and things like that. You can't well, get the, that with wind or solar. Well, you can get it with nuclear. It's like, yeah, we're going to change our our vehicles from burning gas to electric. It's like, okay, well, where are you going to get the power from? Because solar and wind isn't enough. So you're just going to be burning oil at a plant far away. Yeah, so and, not, it, really and it never will anything. be because the conversion rate on wind on a windmill to actual electricity is far too low to generate the power we need. And it's too costly to go and build the amount of windmills you would have to even try. Whereas we could open a few nuclear power power plants and be perfectly fine. Oh, and by the way, it's the cleanest and the safest form of energy creation on earth. Yeah, the most CO2 emissions you get from a nuclear plant is the cement that you use to build the building. Yep, It, it. it it is by far the cleanest and it is hands down the safest, but because of a few things that happened, one happened in the Soviet yeah, happened, Union. That didn't, that didn't happen in America, by the way. Well, Three Mile Island did, but Three Mile oh, Island yeah. also wasn't a meltdown. It was a concern of a meltdown. And then Chernobyl happened in the Soviet Union. Yeah, the Soviets are bad at stuff. We kind of know that. So yeah, I think like when that happened, like the, America had like checked our nuclear plants like a month prior. 
we actually did our safety checks. Well, and even a lot of the things that happened with Chernobyl, again, I, I've been getting on a lot of tangents this morning, uh, this afternoon, and I apologize to our listeners, but even the things that happened with Chernobyl, many of the things that happened at Chernobyl, the reason that meltdown happened, the reason that reactor was able to explode uh, was because the Soviets actively chose not to listen to a Western scientist who said that an RBMK reactor could suffer that exact issue, but they redacted it from all the reports because they didn't, they essentially didn't want to listen to somebody from the, from the West, tell them that there could be an issue because Western scientists were idiots because they weren't Soviets. And so they left themselves susceptible to a known flaw in the system. And then Chernobyl melted down and still is dealing with issues. But if you look at what happened in Japan after the tsunami in, what was it, 2009, I want to say. Um, it sounds right. You know, that reactor was a concern, but there's no there's no aftermath. There's still nothing that, you know, there weren't major consequences to the nation of Japan for that. Like you can have a nuclear reactor that if taken care of properly can be extremely safe, far safer than a natural gas, a coal or any other type of energy. But again, that's not the, that's not in vogue to talk, to talk about. So we ignore it. So anybody wants to tell me that the Paris climate accords or that climate change is an issue. You don't care about the climate. If you don't care about nuclear that I think that's an honest fact that needs to be examined. If you are a politician or anyone else who thinks we need to do something about the climate, but you're not worrying, you're not willing to talk about nuclear as an option, then you don't really care. You just care about winning points. Oh, I agree 100%. So one, one of the things I was going to say um, for um, solar and wind is that it's also intermittent. So you, nuclear is the same power output regardless. You can you can crank it up if you if you want to, but you can set it at like an optimal um, condition and keep it running. With solar and wind, you also need to include battery management to store the energy uh, when it's not being used. Because essentially what happens is for solar and for wind, most of the energy generation is during the day where people are at work in school. So you're not really burning that amount of energy. But when everyone goes back home to start cooking, you suddenly have thousands of ovens turning on. You have you know thousands of lights being kicked on and everyone using their own separate internet. And you have this huge spike, I think at like six o'clock, pretty much. Um, you can see it across the, across the nation, which is when solar and wind are dying down. So there's, there's a lot of things that need to be done. And if you're using battery technology, then now you're talking about precious metals that are typically coming from um, China or Africa where they have, uh, let's say, lax uh, labor laws and are probably also polluting this uh, crap tone when they're mining or, and doing things like that. So you're just shifting the pollution. You're not, you're not stopping it. Yeah. And you're shifting. You know, that's a really good point, too, is especially cobalt is one of the most important metals in the world right now for yes, battery technology. People don't know that because people don't talk about it, but cobalt is, is primarily mined in Africa, primarily mined by children. Mm -hmm. And they're paid very little. They are given nothing to do to protect them. Um, but we don't do anything about that. So if you want to get into more battery technology, you're mining more cobalt from more third world countries and you're creating more slave labor, creating more of, if you really have a problem with the imbalance in wealth in the world, it's not in the US. It's the US versus places like Ethiopia. Exactly. Very good points, Jeff. So the last thing I'll say about Biden's plan here is, you know, the, the, the whole piece around equity, which is the primary difference here is not only is that something that 
we as a country should be concerned about. It sets a concerning precedent for before he's even in office, Joe Biden is telling us exactly what he's going to do. And now I think you and I knew this going into it. We talked about it going through the entire election cycle, but now there is no doubt that anybody who thought he's going to, because, because I heard people on the right say, and this is a big issue that the right has. We do this a lot. We say, oh, they're going to try and court the people on the far, far left, the progressives, but then he's going to become more centrist when he comes back. So he's better than the alternative. It's still, you know, he's not going to be as bad as he, no, he is. He's, he's made it very clear. He's now pushing to effectively give all of the relief this country has first to minority and LGBTQ and other um, minority groups for their COVID stimulus. And look, I have no problem with those groups getting relief, but I have a problem with them being given priority because they're not the only people who are employing Americans. The majority of Americans in this country are employed by small business owners. People don't realize that, but as the, that is a fact. Yeah. So like 60, 40. Yeah. And so majority of our wealth in this country comes from small business owners, not just them owning their company, but also from them employing Americans. So if we say we're only going to go and help the, we're going to first go and help those individuals that check these boxes, we're effectively throwing huge groups of Americans in the, in the garbage and saying, well, you are a white middle-class um, business owner. So sorry, but no, your business gets to fail, even though it's not through, I am all for letting businesses fail when they don't do something right as we've talked about before, that's free markets. But when you are told by the government that your business is not allowed to open, that's not your fault. No, not at all. That's the government overreaching. And and now we're, we're prioritizing which people get to put food on the tables. And that I can't think of a more appalling use of executive power. By the way, None of this is something that an executive action should be allowed to do. And that, when we talk about writing the right, that's what the, what the conservatives in this country need to do, is bring back the freaking checks and balances, the separation of powers that the Constitution calls for. Because none of the, and we've talked about this before about a lot of executive actions, but none of these things should be allowed to be done by executive order. No. So the one thing I see um, that I think could be done by executive order is that he's manned any mask at on federal property he can do that he can mandate yeah. masks on federal property but that's all he can do what's funny because it says that and then also says and interstate travel and i don't know what you're going to be doing for that to mandate masks on interstate travel the only way you could even do that would be at the borders of individual states but i don't see that being first of all i don't see how you're going to actually do that Control because border. if you're yeah. saying you're going to do it on literal interstates because they were built by the federal government to for the purposes of of expediting interstate travel uh that you get into a major gray area about government jurisdiction on those roads um because a lot of them are funded actually also by the states um it's also going to be entirely unenforceable yeah so i I, I mean i guess you could do it on flights you well i mean maybe he means on flights and on trains that's about the only way you could do it but those are also i mean like you could do it on flights because of the faa and but they're already mandated on yeah they're, yeah you're, you're already doing it and they could do it on trains maybe but that's a really big gray area because the i I'd, I'd have to look really closely at what jurisdiction the u.s government has on railroad tracks because in theory yes the government is the federal government does have have power over interstate trade but not over interstate travel and so 
it'd be really sketchy to say that they could in, enforce it on like an Amtrak. Right. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what he, what he means. Um, this is what he plans to do. Um, this, the next the next day he's in office. Yeah. I mean, by, by so, Thursday, we expect to see this stuff happening. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. I think it's, this is where the right needs to start to make a stand and not to make the ridiculously bad stand that Mitch McConnell made a month ago to fight $2,000 checks, but fight things like equity and how we pay out our American citizens and fight things like forcing more mandates of lockdowns. Because the other thing that Joe Biden's kind of flagged that he's going to do, and this is something where he doesn't have the authority to do it. So he's going to push on governors to do it is he's going to push for more lockdowns again. And Governors that are on the right need to fight back. Governors on the left need to as well, but they're not going yeah. to. But governors I, I that are like, on the right need to push back because he doesn't have the authority to lock down a state. Yeah, I feel like the. I don't think he's going to push for lockdowns because we already see the, the Democrats switching over to lockdowns are bad, and we need to build the economy back. That's my this is my personal opinion. With, I'm with New I'm York. Iffy on it. I think that you might be right, but I'm I'm iffy because he's still out there saying things like he's still got Fauci out there saying things like we need to go back into lockdown. So the question is, is he going to do what Trump never did and should have done, which is shut Fauci up and take him off the air? Yeah, because as long as Fauci's out there pushing that message on behalf of the federal government, it's going to make Biden look weak if he doesn't follow it, because they fought with Trump for months about not listening to Fauci. Very true. Very true. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, so what, what equity, what irritates me is, so for instance, if you wanted to focus on like vaccines for the people who are most health compromised, obviously you would focus on like the older people first. So, you know, equity as in like, these are the minorities and we need to help them out versus these are the sick people and we need to prioritize sick people are two completely different things. One is common sense. One is equity. Right. That's my point. Like you can, you can accomplish the same thing without having to focus on equity or even if you're focusing uh, again on health disparities, you know, black people are unhealthier than, than white people. So if you're talking about just focusing on health, you're going to um, be giving more vaccines to, to black people on average than white people. But that's again, based off just the health portion not on the color of their skin so and, and i agree with that and the problem i have is less with the the distribution of vaccines and more with the distribution of funds for um you know the paycheck protection act and things like that which they're they're right. e- opening that pool that is has, there's no space for equity in there it needs to be based on either first come first serve or just open to everyone because there shouldn't be a priority that says well we know that you have a business that employs 30 people and you need this money to pay them, but you're not Hispanic or you're not black or you're not gay or you're not something. So you don't get the money. That's there's no place for that in our government. Um, the vaccine piece that if you're using it based on just, do you check this box? I agree, but I'm with you. If, if you want to say vaccine priority is going to be given to the elderly, or it's going to be given to the infirm, or it's going to be given to people with these pre-existing conditions, check these boxes. All right. That's just common sense. I'm fine with that. That's less actually following science, but 
that's not what they're, that's not where he's placed most of his focus. By the way, that's the other concern I have for Joe Biden. Something I'm interested to see is, does he try and push for a federal mandate for vaccination? Because that will become a very interesting and very quick fight in the, in the United States. If that is pushed, not just, and, and people want to say, well, that's because Trump supporters don't, you know, don't buy the vaccine and things like that. You know, I don't think that's the case. Um, Trump well, got a lot the of, vaccine a lot of black across. people also don't buy the vaccine and black people are notoriously democratic. So. That's also true. But I mean, Trump's the one who got the vaccine done. But the bigger problem is there are anti-vaxxers ex- exist. Many of them are but, but actually on the left. Though. Well, what I was going to say is many of them are on the left. Oh, yeah. But if you're an anti-vaxxer for things like measles, that's a vaccine that's been around for years and is proven to be effective. You're probably not going to want to take a vaccine that was rushed through cl- clinical trials and has never been tried before. If you didn't think something that's been proven to work like a polio or a measles vaccine. Where you actually can you, see the, the results. Yeah, where, where, where they've got Years of history. Around. I, I have a hard time believing that anti-vaxxers are going to want to take the COVID vaccine. And if you do, and you're an anti-vaxxer, I would love for you to write our show either on YouTube. If you can, ju- if you if you listen to us uh, live, come in and chat with us or send us an email, Mike and Jeff at gmail.com, M Y K E and Jeff at gmail.com. I would love to know the take of an anti-vaxxer who thinks the COVID vaccine is worth getting, because that would be interesting to me why you would rather susceptible, make yourself susceptible to polio than uh, the coronavirus. But I believe that most of those people, if you were an anti-vaxxer before, you're probably an anti-vaxxer now. So one, you've got that group of people who doesn't want it. Then you've got people who may not be anti-vaxxers, but don't believe in the flu shot. For example, I don't get the flu shot. I will say that right now on the air. I don't get the flu shot because uh, it's not proven to be effective. It is proven to be at best about 50% effective. And a lot of people who get the flu shot end up getting flu symptoms and okay, Maybe you didn't get worse symptoms, but I'm not, I'm not an extremely unhealthy individual. I'm not 80 years old. I can live through the flu, but I'd rather not inject the flu into myself and maybe get the flu for three days. So I don't get the flu shot. And it's not a moral thing. It's not a anti-science thing is I just don't see the benefit to getting the flu shot every year. So I don't do it. So yeah, you've got people like that. Right. Like I'm 31. I have no reason to, to get this, this uh, flu vaccine or this upcoming COVID vaccine. I just don't see a point. Exactly. And so I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Like, all right, well. Yeah, my 85-year-old grandparents should probably get the flu shot and maybe should get the coronavirus vaccine. But myself as a 33-year-old man, I don't get the flu shot every year. I don't really want the coronavirus vaccine because they're not proven to be highly effective. They don't stop the transmission of the coronavirus as we've already heard multiple outlets come out and tell us. So it's not going to make me not transmit it. It's not going to make me not get it. What's the point of me doing this? And again, that's What's not crazy, an anti-vaxxer like, take, and it's not an anti-Biden or Trump take. It's just a, what is the reason for me to get this shot? So you've got anti-vaxxers, you've got people like me, and then you've probably got the, some people that are just going to dig their heels in and say, because they're telling me to, I don't want to. So I'm really curious what happens if Biden pushes a vaccine mandate. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that as well. Um. I also kind of don't care because I won't be here. <laughs> so, yeah, but the question is, will you be forced to take it uh, where you're going as well, which may also be the case? Um, I'm not sure because Japan's been pretty slow with their um, vaccines. I, I actually don't know if Japan has one approved yet. You might be required to take one to immigrate there. Yeah, but I don't know. If, well, so right now they're just having people quarantine in, in hotel for two weeks. Well, I hope for your sake that you don't have to. I'm not saying that I want you to take it, obviously, but I just, it'll be interesting because you're going to a state that's where the, you're going to a a country where the government does have a bit more power than they have here. 
So it will be interesting. And you're coming as a foreign national, which opens you up to a lot more scrutiny. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And for really quickly, completely off topic for anyone, because I've been asked this question by a few listeners who are wondering, is this show going to continue when Mike leaves the country in a few months? The answer is yes. We have every intention of continuing this program um, with us recording what will probably be in the early morning for Mike and the late evening for me or vice versa uh, with him, you know, 15 hours ahead. But we do intend, Mike, am I correct, in continuing to write the right? Very true. Very, very true. You used to see me like on air eating sushi while I'm doing it. Actually, no, probably got curry. That's my favorite. And, that, and that'll be fine. But yes, we have every intention of continuing this program. That is the benefit of doing a podcast where we're already miles apart in the first place. We don't record in person today, so it's not that much different to record miles apart in the future. Right. So let's move on. So we had a fan requested topic and we've, we've said for weeks, if you have a topic that you'd like us to talk about, please let us know on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on our Gmail. We would love to talk about the things that the listeners of this program are interested in hearing us talk about. So uh, we want to thank this specific fan. I won't call them out by name because in our current culture of doxing, who knows what that could do. So I won't call out any of the fans specifically, but I want to thank the two fans who sent us our fan requested topics this week. The first we will talk about is cancel culture in America and, and worldwide at this point. So Mike, how about you uh, introduce the topic for us? Yeah, yeah, it's no problem. So what the user was trying to understand, if I remember correctly, is just what our thoughts were on cancel culture. And it's like the left going too far and things like that. So I guess, first of all, yes, I think cancel culture is wrong. Um, I think cancel culture is wrong from a uh, Christian point of view because it kind of, well, let let me back up. I think there's two types of cancel culture. I think it's the current canceling of people now because they said something five years ago or even yesterday that you don't agree with. Then there's the cancel culture of going back through history and trying to make those people live up to the standards of today. Both of those are wrong. Um, so like one instance is they're taking down um, statues of Abraham Lincoln because I guess freeing the slaves isn't enough to, to justify all the other evil things that he did. And I, I've said before on this podcast that if we continue to do this, as we, as we can, if we continue to rewrite history or evaluate um, the past based off of the off of future um, ethics, then we're pretty much going to wipe all of history. And I, I point to um, Barack Obama because he has like a, a library and he has a few streets named after him and things like that. And I think people forget that. You know, he opposed gay marriage back in 2008 when he was first running for president. And if you bring that up and you start looking at that, you start looking at his uh, drone strikes, um, start looking at the the cages that he built for um, illegal immigrants. Um, I think Obama, even the, the, the first black president that everyone loves now, is going to slowly be fa- uh, phased away over these next few decades like they've been doing with everyone else. Um, and then to talk about people now, um, let's get, get, maybe get a, a bad example, like Louis C.K. of the things he did. Um, yes, they were wrong and he shouldn't have done them. But as long as he as he's come out and apologized, you know, said he was, wouldn't do it again. And then his actions show that he's not going to do it again. I think we as a nation need to be a little bit more forgiving. This era of 
social media has people being very heavy into being um, the judge and, and juror and weighing heavily on people. Um, another example is Kevin Hart, how years ago he, he made a, a, a gay joke about his son, but you know, he's a comedian. That's what he does. He makes jokes about everyone. And they took away the Oscars from him. Grammys, whatever. One, 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 I don't know. One of those the shows that, that I don't watch and I don't care about. It was the Oscars. Yeah. But it was like, you give them to him and then like, Oh, now let me go search his entire history to see if he ever did anything wrong whatsoever. And if you find one thing wrong, that he gets canceled or, or destroyed. And then, like I said, this is just going to lead to a, a whitewashing of history. Just, you can't do anything bad. So, you know, before you become famous, you got to wipe your, your Twitter and your Facebook and make sure all the bad things you said are gone. And when you do that, you get like a, a shallow image of people. But what are your thoughts, Jeff? Jeff, you're on mute. I can't hear you. I agree with what you said. I think there's some deeper issues with cancel culture as well. So if you look at just the, the surface level problem with what cancel culture is, it's that you are taking the actions of an individual out of context, out of time, and you're judging them by today's standards, which first of all, assumes that today's standards are the correct standards, which I've said time and time again, I don't believe that they are. We Let's use Kevin Hart as an example because you used him. Kevin Hart's a comedian. Told a joke about if his son was gay, smashing him over the head with a dollhouse, which first wait, wait, of all wait. is very clearly a joke. It's clearly a joke. And also clearly Kevin Hart would have to buy him buy, buy him the dollhouse. All right, Dave Chappelle, rip off artist. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I love Dave Chappelle. I, I, I do too. And that, that joke is funny. Yeah. I love the fact that people have been trying to cancel them for like five specials now. He's like, I'm just going to keep getting worse and worse. And that's, and that's the way unfiltered. cancel culture should be handled is you should just say, no, nah, I, I no, because <laughs> that's the problem. Like, let's use the Kevin Hart example in the Dave Chappelle piece. Kevin Hart came out and said if his son was gay, he would smash him over the head with the dollhouse. Dave Chappelle, years later, pointed out that that was a ridiculous thing to get upset with Kevin Hart about because he'd have to go out and buy the dollhouse. <laughs> and like and Dave Chappelle took it head on and said, I'm not going to be afraid of. Of addressing this concern, I'm not going to be afraid of of going head on at the problem, but. Kevin Hart went on an apology tour afterwards. After first he said they, they told he him he was going to lose the Oscars, and he said, "Fine, I quit." And it seemed like he was going to take a stand. But then he spent like the next six weeks going on an apology tour on just about every late night show everywhere around the world, trying to say, "I'm sorry for what I said because it was insensitive." And that's problem one with cancel culture is you're judging him by the standard. He's a comedian who should be allowed to say things that are just funny, because objectively gay or straight, you need to be able to laugh at yourself. The thing that people always say about, I'm going to use Christians as an example, because who in multimedia is one of the only groups that can still be picked on, whether it's through TV shows like Family Guy, or it's through um, rap or anything. It's, you can still pick on Christians. And everybody says, well, they just need to have a sense of humor. And you know what? Frankly, as a Christian, I agree with that. Just have a sense of humor because you can make fun of a group and that's okay. I don't have to agree with what you say. And, and if I am offended by what you said, Kevin Hart, or I'm offended by what somebody says on a TV show, I have the ability to stop watching it. Mm -hmm. Shocking enough, I don't have to go and pay for Kevin Hart shows. I don't have to watch his specials. I don't have to go and uh, you know buy albums of his comedy. I don't have to go to the movies he's in. But for some reason, we said, oh, no, he said a joke that 
people found didn't find it offensive at the time found actually very funny as very as evidenced by the massive amount of laughs he got on the special where he did that people found it funny at the time now it's offensive so now he can't have said it so first you're going back in history and you're applying today's standards against it and you're saying what what what's not okay in 2021 couldn't have been okay at the time that first and foremost is wrong second of all you're saying that because he made a, a joke about one group that you believe is oppressed, and we talked about this with critical race theory, you've believed they're oppressed. And so you now say they cannot be attacked with anything. He didn't attack them. He wasn't out there openly saying, let's go and drag gays in the streets. He made a joke about his son being gay. And it was a joke. So the idea that cancel culture says that you can no longer, you can no longer say anything about any group that at some point might become part of this oppressive culture, that's a problem. So that's my one issue with cancel culture. The second piece, and you hit on it, Mike, is it kind of eliminates the whole concept of forgiveness and growth. So we talked about a uh, Tennessee cheerleader a few weeks back on this program who had her admission to Tennessee not taken away, but they kind of very much uh, encouraged her to leave. Kyle Kashuv, um, who was part of the Stoneman Douglas school shooting, um, had his admission to Harvard taken away because he used the N-word in some private chats with his friends online. And I look, I'm not defending the actions of anybody doing or saying anything because frankly, I don't know what was going on. I'm not, I'm neither going to defend nor attack because I don't care to, because it doesn't affect me. But what I will say is that what you say as a 15-year-old kid versus what you think as an 18-year-old kid versus what you think as a 25-year-old man versus what you think as a 30-year-old man versus what you think as a 60-year-old man all change because you grow and develop and improve as a person over time, or at least you should. I know that a lot of the things I thought and did as a 16-year-old, I would look back on now and say, man, I was a moron. And everyone in society says those things. But for some reason, the standard we'd all, we've all held ourselves to for generations that you're dumb as a kid, you get smarter as an adult, you get wiser, that standard no longer exists. Now you're dumb as a kid, you must be penalized for it for the entirety of your life. He did not go out there and kill someone. He said a word to his friends on the internet and you can have a problem with him saying it, but does that mean he should have no future? No, it doesn't. And that's the other problem with cancel culture is you cannot grow anymore because you've, you've committed the crime in the public arena that is unforgivable and now you're gone. You can't come back from it. Louis C.K. did horrible, horrible things. The question is, should he be able to come back from it? What, what, rise, what rises to the level of unforgivable and what doesn't? I think the standard used to be criminal action. Like, I'll tell you right now, you are a pedophile. I'm never going to forgive you for that. Uh, no, you all. go, you go and I'm use the N word on, you go use the N word on an Instagram video. I think you could probably be forgiven for that. You could probably grow from it. Yeah. Even the guy who got the crap kicked out of him by a twisted tea can <laughs> may come out 10 years later and say, yeah, I was in the wrong. I was, I was really dumb. I was really in the wrong and I've learned from it and I've grown and he should be forgiven. What's funny about that is like, I first heard about it on like our little conservative group chat. And all of us were, were were laughing at him about it, like we know he what he did was stupid. Yeah, he he. If if I stand in a room with a large black male and I continue to yell the n word at him, I expect he's probably going to beat me. And you know what? I brought it on myself. And so I have no problem with him getting beat down for it. I have no like there are action there are consequences to actions. But so Jeff, the problem with really cancel quick. culture is I got a question. Would you prefer to get hit with a twisted T or maybe like a Red Bull? 
Maybe like some. I mean, I prefer to get hit by a Red Bull because it's small. Oh, Those cans like, are small and skinny. I feel like a Red Bull, like the, 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 it wouldn't dent as much, so it might hurt as more. With a twisted key, you have, you have some, some flex in there. I mean, we could always thoughts. test this theory. Okay. I'll bring some to your bachelor party and we'll, I'll let you hit, I'll hit you upside the head and we'll see which one hurts more. All right. Well, let me get a few shots in first. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, that's, I mean, that, that is the problem with cancel culture, right? Is that you've eliminated the ability of somebody to come back from what they've done. And we've gotten to the point now where not, it's not enough that you get caught doing it. You actually have to, we go and dredge up someone's past to do it because we have people who've apparently made it their mission. So to, sorry, really quick. I so see we have a, we have a, yeah, someone on chat saying that for loco is that is either the best thing to get hit with or the worst thing to get hit with. Yeah. I'm not really sure which, which one it is. It's by far of all three drinks. It's the most enter. It's the best, or at least it was when it was real for loco. Yeah. So like, do you like hit him with it and then like just pour it on them? Like kind of give them super strength at the same time. I think you got to give yourself the super strength, like drink the four loco and then hit them with a twisted tea. Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense. I mean, that's what I would do. It's like a power up. Okay. I got you. Yeah. You're opening a can of whoop ass in the form of four loco. Just so um, for anyone who doesn't know, four loco used to have caffeine and alcohol and it was just rage inducing for anyone who drank it. And it also was made them, like super strong. The worst idea of all time and legitimately probably one of the best drinks of all time. Yeah. Four loco ran rampant through for anyone who doesn't know this, Mike and I are fraternity brothers from college. Four loco ran rampant, not only through our fraternity, but through our entire college campus and was a very big part of my young adult life. Yeah. And a very big part of a lot of fights that happened yes. in that short period of time that was there. It was, it wasn't on the market for very long either before it got made illegal all over the place. Yeah. And then they brought it back without caffeine. So it wasn't I mean, like, it didn't taste good. So nobody bought it for not having caffeine. So then when it came out as faux loco, basically, um, it was well, not any good. Well, yeah, but then people were, were buying like caffeine pills, <laughs> just throwing it in, in the four loco. Yeah, but see, but like, I didn't do that because if if it doesn't already have it in there, I could just throw caffeine pills in in a bottle of vodka if I just want to do that. Like, I don't need Very the true. four four loco. Wasn't exactly delicious. It was actually borderline gross. Yeah. Just like anyway, farm. we've got we got way off topic, but the last thing I wanted to talk about with cancel culture was going up and dredging up the past because now it's not enough that you get caught doing something that somebody doesn't like. Now we actually have people who actively go out and dig up old tweets, dig up old statements by people so they can cancel them for that because you go and have a vendetta against somebody or something triggers you to do this, whatever it is. And so you dredge up the past. James Gunn is a perfect example. Director of Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, uh, directing the new Suicide Squad movie, got fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 before he got brought back. He was fired over tweets um, joking about pedophilia. And I've read the tweets and they were pretty bad jokes. I'm like, I'm surprised somebody famous would have said them even before cancel culture. Like that was just in poor taste and dumb, but it was clear jokes. And it was also years and years and years ago. And no one cared about it until... He came back and until they got, they dredged up the past and they brought that out there. And then suddenly Disney fired him, people disavowed him. And it was cured. There was at a time people were curious if James Gunn would ever work in Hollywood again. Now, obviously he's recovered, but not everyone does. And again, that's the other, you, we've militarized cancel culture. Now it's gotten, it's gone full circle to the point where it went from 
you can call people out for something to you can now cancel them over it. You can take away their livelihood. Now you can actually go and militarize the past against them, all based on some arbitrary standards that are set today that may or may not have existed at the time that it was said or done. And that, again, may or may not even be correct today. Right. Well, I mean, we have instances right now of people trying to make a list of all the um, people that worked for Trump and try to make sure that they never work again. Yeah, that's actually even further than cancel culture. I mean, that's that's brown shirt level stuff. And anybody who doesn't realize that should go and look up how Hitler handled his opposition after rising to power, because that's essentially what's being done here. But it is the far extreme of cancel culture. Oh, you've you've said something that is no longer politically acceptable, and now you must be canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just now taking well, it to the level that, of brown, some, brown shirts. Some of these people, they, I don't know if, some of these people are like so unknown that I don't even know what they said or if they even said anything. It's just the fact you work for someone that was bad. Therefore, you must be bad. Therefore, you must never work again. It's we've gotten we've gotten so extreme with it that any calls for unity and healing in the country can't be heard when you're screaming that over the screams of burn them at the stake, which is essentially what we, what we're doing. The, the actor who plays Mr. Bean actually came out a few weeks Mm -hmm. ago and had the perfect statement about cancel culture. He said, it's a modern day witch hunt. And that's what it is. It's the, there's always been a mob mentality in humanity. It's not new to the 20th, 21st century. It's not new to America. Uh, You know, in the ancient Roman empire, people used to love to watch gladiators kill each other in the ring. In the Middle Ages, people like to watch uh, witches be hanged and burned at the stake. Most or, witches were actually hanged, not burned, by the way. That's very true. But, this, I mean, there's also literally tar and feathering people. Yeah, or putting that. them in the stocks. I mean, public executions, uh, you had people killed at the guillotine during the French Revolution. You had people drawn and quartered in, in the Middle Ages. So it's not new that people want to see their enemies, or just anyone destroyed in front of them. We've just changed it from being a literal decapitation to a figurative one, where we take away your livelihood and watch you writhe in pain of losing everything that matters to you, which is actually probably worse, because at least if you're dead, that's definitive, you're gone. Now you have to live with the shame of being a, a, a pariah in society, and while everyone points at you and says, look how horrible he is. And Most of these people did not commit, like Harvey Weinstein committed crimes. And that's the thing is like, you cannot compare what Kyle Cashew, for example, did with what Harvey Weinstein did, or even what Louis C.K. did with Harvey Weinstein. I mean that, Harvey Weinstein versus uh, Aziz Ansari. Like they they were both um, victims of the Me Too movement. Yeah, Whereas, or, well, and or Louis C.K. Like I said, like Louis yeah. C.K. wasn't even as criminal. Like Harvey Weinstein was clearly committing criminal action, or or Bill Cosby. Louis C.K., some of that stuff may be criminal. And look, I'm not defending Louis C.K. I don't really have a dog in the fight there. I don't particularly like Louis C.K. Comedy, I don't really but, either, to be um, honest with you. But the point is, there, there are some things that, yeah, you can't come back from that. Like, I'm not saying we should redeem Charles Manson in the eyes of society. But I am saying that you should redeem some. Some people should be okay. Mm-hmm. And it is... I think that's the perfect definition of it. It's the, it's the modern day witch hunt. We kind of had gotten to a point where we felt we were so cultured and so enlightened and so beyond it that we had stopped doing those things. We don't have the public executions. We don't have these things anymore to let out the kind of the baser, more evil instincts of humanity. Yeah. And so they've found a way to resurface and they've resurfaced in the digital age with cancel culture. That's all this is. Well, I mean, like you said, the, the, the lynchings and hangings were done at the public square and, and the public square now is Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And now you can't lynch or hang somebody. So what do you do? You just, you just 
burn them in effigy in, in essence, and you destroy their, their social media presence, you destroy their name in the public square. And so you're, you're burning their name down, you're tearing, tearing them apart, but you're not killing them literally. It, but it is, it is exactly the same thing. It's just the modern version of it. Yeah. And one thing I'm concerned about, um, this kind of gets into right and the right, is with the push of cancel culture, I think there's also going to be an opposing reaction of trying to make sure that no one gets ever gets canceled and everything is fine. So you have instances of like the the founder of Goya Beans where AOC tried to cancel him and like, you know, his stock shot through the roof. Like, all right, that's a good thing. But then once we try to actually, maybe not cancel is the right word, but removes an actual evil person from society, I think, or I feel that the right could see that as further cancel culture. And then the real evil people of the world are also kept in and kept safe by the right. Yeah, I, I, that's a really good point. And that's, this is one of the areas where the right really needs to step up and, and make a stand because we've kind of sat in the corner, sat in the dark and been a little bit afraid to, to stand up against cancel culture. We haven't taken a stand on either side. We haven't, you haven't seen a lot of canceling on the right, but you've seen a lot of people on the right trying to get canceled. But you also haven't seen people on the right actively fight it. They come out and say, oh, cancel culture is bad. And like, let's talk the Daily Wire or um, some of the big people on the right, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, they come out against cancel culture, but we're not really doing anything actively to fight it. No. And we need to do something to fight it. And one of the things we need to do is start to remind people that it's okay to make a mistake. And in our chat, we, we had a, a really good comment from one of our listeners. Thank you for jumping in. And he mentioned Tiger Woods, which is probably one of the best. And he actually mentioned one of three ultimate stories of redemption in the modern era. Or, uh, and, and it is one of the, one of the best stories of, of redemption. Um, Tiger Woods was completely destroyed after his affair, his, you know, it came out that he was a sex addict. He was cheating on his wife with tons of people. And then there was the big, you know, Thanksgiving day, um, crashed into a fire hydrant and his wife chasing him, all the stuff. I mean, even, even South Park made a joke about it. And like, that was the, the golf game <laughs> oh, <yeah>. and, <laughs> and it, you could just, you saw Kenny and Cartman playing it and she, he would bring Elon in from off the screen and fight tiger on the green. Like that was what golf was. Um, but that, and so tiger was effectively destroyed in the, in every regard, his name was torn down. He lost a lot of endorsements from Nike. Uh, he, he was, nobody knew if he'd ever golf again. And now he's come back. He's won the masters. Uh, since then, he's uh, last year? still the year? most popular. It was last year. I think it was last year, but it feels really long because 2020 was so screwed up. I think it was 2019 that he won the Masters. Okay. Um, and then Masters was, was, was Masters was really late in 2020, which throws me off because it wasn't. It's normally in April, and in 2020, it was in like November. Um, okay. So it throws me off. But I believe he won in 2019. Um, but either way, he's come back. He's won the Masters. He is easily the most popular golfer in, a, in the world again, if he ever wasn't. Uh, he is a story of redemption, but Tiger Woods also had the benefit of being hugely famous and having a lot of money and being able to kind of tuck away from the public eye and come back. Um, a lot of people that are being canceled now are a lot smaller, a lot less known, a lot less 
um, connected and they don't have that opportunity. Again, I use Kyle Cashew as an example, a lot of cancel culture, maybe more than I should, but I use him as an example because this is a kid who admittedly did some things that were stupid, came out and openly admitted that he did some things that were stupid and apologized for them. He was valedictorian of his, of his high school class and had his college admission taken away from him at Harvard. And look, you can say, okay, well, they don't have to admit him and they don't, but they, they also, well, didn't, it's not like they pulled, earlier, they, it's but... not like they pulled his admission at the, like really early. They pulled it like a week before classes were going to start. So he didn't have time to get into any other school. Right. So my personal feelings is there's really not many private universities because they still take public funds. So if you're taking public funds, you should, you should be adhering to public university requirements. If of, you take public funds, the first amendment applies to you or it yes. should. Um, so it I agree should. with you on that, but again, I don't want to get too, too into him, but I use him as the, the counterpoint to a tiger woods because tiger is a great example of redemption and what we should aim for where he did some things. Everybody looked at him and said, wow, that was really bad, but he's come back from it. We should give that opportunity to everyone. But tiger had the opportunity of being extremely rich and being able to go away from the public eye for a while and let things die down. When you're an 18 year old kid who has no connections, you don't have that opportunity. So that's the, the problem here. That's the rub. And that's what the right needs to do. We need to start fighting to remind people that Christianity is about redemption. It's about forgiveness. And that whether you're a Christian or not, that's also core to the fundamental human experience and, and fundamental being of a person, right? Is you, you have to be able to make mistakes and grow. If we no longer allow people to make mistakes, we are effectively saying you can never grow and get better. And the right has to do our job of reminding people of that. So the cancel culture goes away. Yeah. I think another thing that the right needs to do is to better define where people should be canceled or, or kind of thrown to the side. So as, as you said earlier about crimes, so I think we should actually come out and say, you know, this person, we're, we're removing him or we're not going to be like, I mean, back up. Ben Shapiro should come out and say like, I'm no longer listening to this comedian because he did this, which is a felony. And this is why I choose not to listen to him anymore. Like give an actual reason why you're throwing him to the side or this comedian did this. I don't really agree with it. So I'm going to probably take a break from him and hopefully he comes up with apology. And if he does, then I'll give him another chance. Like to actually explain what you're doing instead of saying this person is on the right, therefore they're canceled forever. So I think we need to kind of put a box around what's appropriate and what's a, a appropriate response. So just being anything right of me or anything left of me is evil and should be thrown away. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's the, Going back to the first thing I said, just to sum it up for me, because I think that you put it well, is it's really easy to, there are a lot of people on the left in Hollywood that I do not like who or what they represent as individuals, but I still, I see a lot of people on the right that say, oh, we should boycott this person's movies, or we should boycott this or that. And there are some things that are so blatantly in my face, so preachy that I won't watch them because I don't need to be preached out for entertainment. I want it to be an escape. I want it to be something fun, but there are also a lot of people who are, I know you're a big time. I, I talked before about the show. Always, It's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's a show I really like. Mm -hmm. That entire cast is extremely liberal. Um, Danny DeVito is a huge ben, uh, Bernie Sanders supporter. And But you know what? I still watch the show because I can separate artists from art. And that's what we need to do is we need to be able to separate actions from what someone's putting out there. And if it's something that crosses the line for you personally, 
then you don't have to watch it. And you can say to Mike's point, you can give a reason, but it doesn't mean that you need to call for their cancellation because the thing I said at the beginning is still what I believe is Americans have lost our sense of humor about ourselves. We can't laugh at anything anymore. And so if you're right of me or you're left of me or any, or you say anything that I find personally offensive or um, to be an affront on my beliefs, I feel you need to be canceled rather than laughing at it and saying, yeah, I could see. I mean, that's funny. Or I don't personally find that funny, but that's okay. Because there are a lot of things that I don't find funny that I'm not offended by either. Or there are things that I don't agree with that if it happened to me in real life, I might find offensive, but I can find it funny in a comedic setting. Like any of those things is okay, but we need to separate art from artists. And we need to be able to separate comedy from reality. And we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. I think at the end of it, that's where a lot of this goes is we've lost the ability to laugh at ourselves. And so you say something that is at my expense and suddenly I'm offended by it rather than I'm going to laugh it off and move on. Right. I mean, to, to take another example is, you know, one of my favorite artists is Eminem and he's clearly anti-Trump and he's talked about um, Trump supporters, but I still listen to music to be murdered by, listen to Psy B. I'm going to listen to the next album he puts out as long as he still stays at the lyrical level um, that I, I need him to be at for me to want to listen to him. Um, another person is Alyssa Milano, who is very clearly on the left, but hey, I still watch Charmed uh, whenever it's on or whenever my, my parents are watching. I don't like leave the room. Charmed is a, about three sisters being witches, by the way. I'm aware of what Charmed is. I'm a little more surprised by the fact that you openly admitted to watching Charmed than anything else. Oh, yeah. That I mean, honestly, that might be something that you should you should be afraid to put out on a public podcast. But <laughs> oh, that's, old Charmed is fantastic. This, this new Charmed is just horrible. It's disgusting. It's an yeah, affront like- to the, uh, the original Charmed and all of its loveliness. Yeah. Tom Cruise is a lunatic, but I'm going to see the new Mission Impossible. And I'm going to see if they ever actually release the new Top Gun. I'm going to watch that too. Like, see, like the, so the man the is a gun, nut job. The Top Gun, I may not because of um, some Chinese influence. I like got rid of some of the logos on this jacket. See, so I want to I, I want to see the movie to judge it. And now whether or not I'll like, but I want to see the movie. And and but your reason for not watching it is <laughs> I like the I like the chat feature. It makes uh, makes this better. Um your reason for not watching it, you're clear. You gave, I do watch that. You gave a reason for it. If you choose not to watch it, that's fine. But you're also not calling for everyone to boycott Top Gun, which is the thing. There are a lot more people watching this than I thought there were. Hello to everyone. Yeah. Hey, maybe it's just the four people that are watching it all want to comment. Yeah, <laughs> it's more, that's more than we typically get. So yeah. it's actually nice. We're at a hundred percent of people watching comment. Take that Joe Rogan. <laughs> We're on almost the same level. We're pretty much. We're pretty close. Most popular podcast on Spotify or a podcast that like 20 people download virtually the same thing. Same thing. All right. So let's, let's move on a little bit, but stay in the cancel culture realm. One of the things I want to talk about was the, if we talk about cancel culture, we can't shy away from the fact that we're also trying to now cancel media things. So recently in the last week after the Capitol riots, we've seen people come out and there've all, there've been calls to cancel the Punisher for a while um, by people on both sides for a number of reasons, largely from 
largely from people who are anti-police or anti-violence. Now there are people calling to cancel the Punisher because a few people in the Trump crowd were wearing the Punisher's logo on shirts. So we've gotten to the point now where it's not enough to cancel people. We have to cancel fictional characters over associations with people that aren't associated with them because they are directly involved like they, they, somebody adopted this. So if I, if I went to a Trump rally, I'm wearing a, a green lantern or a green arrow shirt today. If I were, wore this to a Trump rally, does that mean we have to cancel the show arrow and by consequence, Stephen Amell, because he was the star of it. Like it, at what point I mean, he's, he's a rich white dude. So probably, well, he's also super, super woke. So maybe not, but that's Stephen Amell is, Oh, I guess green arrow is green arrow is also super woke. Yeah, in actuality. Green arrow is the wokest superhero in DC, which is why in actuality, I don't like a lot of green arrow comic books because what he started as was a hippie who was fighting against like social injustice as a Robin hood character, but he was mostly fighting for like the environment. He's not a super interest and he's as equally as lame as Hawkeye, but that's a super big aside. My point is we, we are now canceling or trying to cancel fictional characters because some people we don't like associated themselves with that character by wearing a t-shirt like where which does is, it end yeah which is crazy because everyone loved the punjure series and the people have been calling for it to come back for for years now and it was looking like it, it was going to come back punisher and, and daredevil and everything else but we'll see we'll see what happens now that they've been calling for punisher to be removed I've, I personally feel that Marvel's not going to do that. That's too much money to be left. <laughs> See, I actually think the, I think the opposite. I think Marvel will do it because if you look at the leadership behind, look, we've talked about this before. The, the, we are huge comic book fans, but the thing that's funny about the comic industry is most of the beliefs of everyone who's in that industry are completely counter to ours. And so Marvel is extremely woke as a company. Disney, which owns them, is becoming very woke. And I could totally see them. I I, I see this taking, say that again. Doesn't Disney own like a a huge collection of foreign porn companies? Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're not woke. It can, you can still be woke porn. Sex work is work, Mike. No, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I mean, that, that is the slogan, right? Sex work is work. Yes. It, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> but so I, I see go. I think they might cancel the Punisher or I think the opposite they could go with it is I think you'll see if they keep the Punisher, the first thing he's going to do is go out and be some do some type of anti-Trump, anti-right wing action to say that he's not part of that group. He's going to be, you know, he's going to yeah, see gonna some go, of those riots and like go and take down the rioters. That's what they'll do yeah, to try and say up a clan he rally, is opposite like of this. And thank you uh, to our UK listener uh, for pointing out the the statue that got dragged into the river in Bristol um, from a Black Lives Matter demonstration, which, again, another perfect example of (laughs) (laughs) the chat feature might actually be somewhat detrimental, but also kind of funny. But um, the the Black Lives Matter, it, it clearly degrades very quickly. The, the De- Black Lives Matter demonstrations in the UK are actually a great example of, of people glomming onto the idea of cancel culture more because they want to witch hunt. Because even if you believe that Black Lives Matter was purely about 
racial injustice and police slaughtering black people, which we've talked about the statistics and the fact that that's not true. And the fact that black lives matter made it a major part of their mission statement to destroy things like the nuclear family, which, which has, has nothing to do with destroyed police, in the black family. Um, which, and the fact so, that George Floyd died in a Democrat stronghold. So we've, we've talked about all the reasons that that's not the case, but even if you, if you do believe that that's what black lives matter is about, then what purpose is there for Black Lives Matter in the UK or in Europe, where in the UK, there aren't police shootings of black people because the police don't carry cops unless they're specially licensed armed police officers, but the vast majority of their police don't carry um, guns, which is actually why a terrorist there had to be taken down by a narwhal tusk a year or so ago, because the police don't have guns. So, and and there's not nearly the level of racial... um, tension in the UK as there is in America by any account um, if you buy into the into those narratives so it's glomming on to the witch hunt more than anything mm-hmm. we just wanted to destroy something and spreading spreading a socialist agenda and this gave us a reason to destroy something that's pretty much what it was <clears throat> all right yeah. so should we move on to our next fan requested topic before we yeah, email by the chat again <laughs> So one of the listeners currently chatting with us actually requested this. Very inappropriately. So funnily enough, we've talked about, you know, the Punisher and and the media control by the left um, in in, everybody talks about, oh, the, the, the left controls the news, the left controls this and that, but, and the left controls Hollywood, but we haven't really ever talked about the depth to what, where that really goes, that if conservatives really want to try and win the culture war, we have to do something to get back to really dealing with the fact that it's not just the news. It's not just Hollywood on pretty much every Avenue of, of popular culture and media. We are losing that it is all, whether it's recording artists, whether outside of like country music and AM radio, there aren't conservative bastions of, of popular culture. Comic books are dominated by the left um movies are dominated by the left television is dominated by the left recording artists are dominated by the left the news media is dominated by the left so one of our fans had asked us to you know talk about what do we need to do to actually drive this into to as a conservative movement drive ourselves past this and, and start to win that battle so mike what do you think we need to do as conservatives to actually start to fight the fact that we have completely lost control of the culture and it's impossible to win a culture war where when everything that you're being exposed to is from the other side. Well, I think we need to do it the way the, the left did. And we got we need to start very subtly um, putting in subliminal messages first, then slowly switch into like full on conservative shows. Um, I think the only show I can think of is The Last Man Standing with Tim Allen where he's a, an, an open conservative. I think everything else should be kind of subtle. I mean, we'll talk about this, the movie that the Daily Wire produced um, earlier, but you know, there there are conservative messages in a lot of shows, things we need to highlight them more. So I'll give you an example. Um, there's a, a comedy called um, Barbershop from I think 2002 with like Ice Cube, Sector Entertainers. It's about a bunch of um, black people in a, uh, uh, barbershop in Chicago and it's you know it's full of comedy and things like that but they also bring up a lot of good points like black people don't need reparations that um that black people in America are like the most well-off black black people in the world um 
one of the older gentlemen played by Sergio the Entertainer, he talks about how Rosa Parks wasn't special, how she wasn't the first to um, ride the bus, but that she was important because she was the, the secretary of the NAACP. Talk about how you know other black people before her were just beaten and thrown in jail. Um, he talked about how, um, what's his name, Rodney King deserved it, getting beat because he was drunk and resisting arrest. Talked about how, um, saying that OJ did it. So it was, it's in this, in the comedy, there's a lot of conservative messages. So I think that's what we need to do. So you can have a full on comedy and then have them do like a, a five minute speech or even um, oh, a 30 second speech that covers uh, conservative messages. Um, but I think eventually we need to start making conservative movies. Um, off the top of my head, you could do a movie about like a, a single mom with a teenager um, daughter and the teenager gets pregnant and she's like, she wants to have an abortion because she thinks she's been such a burden on her mom. Her mom talks about how, you know, you know she had an abortion before her and how she regrets it. So we can, we can talk about things like that as a, like a good conservative message. Um, or we can talk about how like someone gay comes out to their very conservative family. And it's about, you know, not accepting the person as being gay, but accepting the person as they're a sinner, just like, you know, their other son who's, I don't know, doing drugs or something like that. And how the parents are more fine with that versus them being, their other son being gay. So there's there's ways you can do conservative messages without having to be a straight up conservative movie, in my opinion. So I think that's part of it. I, I agree with you on that. I think th part of it is we need to have more conservative messages out there. And we can talk about that a little bit further as we get into the Daily Wires uh, film. But I think it's I think it's deeper than that because I think there's two pieces. One is I'm a firm believer that I don't think that you need a conservative or a liberal message. One of the things that, that I think makes films or, or art better in, in, you know, entertainment better is when it is treated as an escape, like it should be. And something conservatives can do is because our problem is going to be winning the, winning the war of getting content produced, right? Because mm -hmm. you can come up with any of those conservative messages you want to, but if you can't get it produced, if you can't get it on a television network, or you can't get it on Netflix, or you can't get it on this or that, it's not going to matter because, okay, if conservatives go out there and try and create their own, their own streaming platform, well, there's some, there's some issues with that because until you have a bunch of content and it's good enough that it's worth paying for, you're going to have a lot of problems even getting conservatives to go buy into it. Because one of my problems, again, I don't want to go too much into the Daily Wire piece. One of my problems with that film was I had to, I have a Daily Wire subscription, but I had a reader pass because that's really all, I don't do anything else with it. But I had to upgrade my subscription to be able to watch the movie, which I did for the purposes of this show. But I don't need that higher level subscription to watch one movie that I'm not going to watch again. And, and so that's a problem is if, if we are going to produce our content, how do we win that war? Well, long-term, maybe it is what you said, Mike, where we have more Christian, more conservative messages out there. And I think that's important. I think that is a big piece of it. But I think even before that is you've got to just make good, interesting, entertaining uh, artwork, whether it's music or television or movies. And it's just not got to be preachy either way, because the reality is, that's what holds us back. Like that, that's what ticks off people on the right about 
the left in Hollywood is I don't need to hear a movie preached to me about, about gun control or preached to me about abortion rights or preached to me about um, what it means to, to be an American and to, and to deal with, you know, um, racial strife. Like I, I, you most, for the most part, people go to movies to find an escape from really the crap going on in society. So the first thing we have to do is, is start getting some producers that are producing just good quality content that isn't preachy. You can make, you, those movies can already exist. You can already make an action movie without, without the bent about, you know, okay, you know, like look at some of the movies from the 80s, look at Die Hard or something like that. There's not a big preachy moment in Die Hard. That's why people like it. Lethal Weapon isn't preachy. But now you see any of those movies and they try and tell you about how the villain was misunderstood or they try and tell you about how, you know, they got their guns because gun control wasn't strong enough or something like take that out of it. And then you can start to build up enough money that you can go after doing the second piece, which I agree with you is then having more conservative messages and media. But I think the first thing we have to do is we have to just start really pushing to produce content. And part of that is maybe even to my own standpoint of like, I don't want to spend $14 a month on the insider pass for the daily wire. Well, maybe I need to do that so that we can invest in them making more films. But to do that, we need to have a larger group do that. So you have to appeal to large groups of the right and some people in the middle so you can get the money to go and produce that content yeah. because you're not going to combat Hollywood's money. You're not going to beat Disney's pockets. No, oh, I agree. Um, but to your point, so what, what, you know, Daily Wire is doing is they're launching not just that movie, but they're, they're going into this media in general. Like Candace Owens is supposed to be getting her own like live talk show um, very soon. Agree. So, but but so is that something... appealing to somebody like me? No, not remotely. Oh, I agree. But I mean, it probably appeals to um, women, which is a, a base that kind of switches back and forth between Democrat and Republican. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of lock that base down, that's a, that's a base that you have that you can consistently um, count on, right? So you don't really worry about the the single mom, or not single mom, the um, suburban mom switching back and forth every election. That's something you can lock down. Um, to your point about being like neutral, I think it'd be a good idea if we made like a, a football or a, a basketball organization that's like, all right, this is just sports. We're not going to show anything before. You will see just from the tip off to the end of the game. And then boom, we're no done. interview. The, there will be no interviews. The you know that that's the kind of stuff yeah. we need. Is if you want interviews, then go follow these person, these people on Twitter. They're more than welcome to, to share their stuff um, on their personal accounts. Yep. I think that's a great way of doing it. And I know you talk about money, but you know Ice Cube's three on three league. You know, in their first year, they made more money than the WNBA. So you know you you can do it. I think fairly quickly and make enough money to be sustainable. For something I think, like that. I think you can, depending on what it is. Like I said, I think the problem is it, it, like a sports league is easier to make money with than, than films, for example, because films are all upfront cost until you can go and recoup that cost. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that because I think we should do those things. And I think a sports league is a great example because let's use LeBron James, for example, I'm a massive LeBron James fan in terms of his ability on the basketball court. However, yeah. as a human I being, I cannot a stand athlete, but I don't like him because he's from Ohio. <laughs> and, but I can't stand LeBron James as a person because he comes out and actively campaigns against 
all kinds of things in the US and then shuts his mouth up when asked about anything to do with China and, you know, silencing people in Hong Kong or forcing Muslims into slave camps. Suddenly he has, suddenly he needs to just shut up and dribble because he doesn't know about it. But when he's asked about something in the US where he is allowed to make millions and millions and millions of dollars and where his opportunities are immense, he has a lot of criticism. I don't have a problem with you having criticism, but I have a problem with you having a bunch of stuff to say and then only doing things when it's beneficial to you. I don't want to hear that. So it'd be great to have a sports league where it's just about the sports because I don't care about your opinions. You, you are not a social, you're not a leader of this country because you can play basketball really well. Very true. I think that's another thing we need to, it's very important is we got to remember that actors or celebrities, they don't know anything and we really shouldn't value their opinion. I think that's one of the things we, we really should be pushing. Yeah. That's something I think that that part is big is as American, like we talk a lot about what the conservative movement needs to do at the macro level, which is, you know, go and drive more, uh, you know, drive more, um, films and do things like that. But at the micro level, what do we need to do at the family level? Well, we need to teach our, our children not to idolize athletes and actors and, and musicians. You should not be looking at Eminem as, a, as an example of what you want to do in your life. You shouldn't be looking at LeBron James or any of those. They are not, you are not a role model simply because you are in a role where, your where a child can see you. And the idea that athletes are role models is something that's detrimental to the society. We need to do our job as Americans, as Christians, as people raising our own children to have actual beliefs and have a belief system grounded in, in, in Christ and in um, conservative ideals so that they're not looking to those people to tell them how to live their lives. Because that at a micro level is one of the biggest problems is we look at it and say, well, oh, well, look at what LeBron James said, or look at what Eminem said, or look at what Tom Cruise, like, I don't care what those people say. I don't have any interest in hearing their opinions. They are not any more informed than me. And in most cases are far less informed than me because they live in a bubble because they have millions of dollars and don't have to do anything. And most of them are incredibly uneducated. Yeah. It makes me think of a, a Babylon Bee article where it says like celebrities spell out, we're with you with their cruise ships. <laughs> we're all in this together. That, that is the problem though. They, they all live in there. They live in their echo chamber of Hollywood and where they all talk to each other and sniff each other's farts like South Park. And they don't actually want to drive any, they don't, they don't know anything about what's going on in middle America. And even people like LeBron James who grew up poor have long since forgotten what it's really like to be poor in America. And even if they haven't, I don't care about the, like, okay, you have an opinion. Your opinion is worth as much as mine and no more. Exactly. And in most cases, like I said, most of those people are less educated about society, about the culture, and about the government than, than I am. And, it, and it's not like they're intentionally trying to do that. It's just they live in a different in a different culture. They live completely different from regular Americans. You know, they're saying, um, you know, stay at home. It's like we have a you have a built-in pool and, and a tennis court, and you have like a, a quarters for like your maids and everything like that. It's easier for you to do that. It's easier for you to miss a year of not acting um, versus someone, you know, who's who had, who's working at Subway and their Subway shop was shut, shut down or yeah, not making, at restaurants. Only making $40 million this year because you only did two movies instead of doing three is not going to kill, not going to break your bank. Right. And 
I'm sorry, you couldn't buy, you know, you had to trade your, your G5 in for a G4 because of how horrible things have gotten. But like, that's the problem. But honestly, I do think there is a piece of it there where you said they're not doing it intentionally. I think to some extent, and this isn't true of all of them, but some of those people have become so connected. Like Hollywood is very connected to Nancy Pelosi and other politicians. They become so connected that they do, to some extent, I think, know the influence they have and manipulate it purposefully because they don't, they, they don't have any interest in, in helping common people because it doesn't affect them. And as conservatives, we need to remember that we should make our decisions based on principle, not only on what affects us. We've talked about that before, Mike, that one of the things that, you know, that irritates me is when I hear people saying, oh, you just, you don't agree with this COVID thing because you haven't had it, or you don't agree with this because you're not poor. Like, I don't make my decisions based off only what is beneficial to me. I yeah. make them off of based on my, my moral principles. And, and yes, those are normally aligned with me, but there are a lot of things I would say like erasing student debt would be extremely beneficial for me. I have a lot of it. I have three degrees and it costs me a lot of money to do that. Um, erasing student debt would be massively beneficial. I don't believe in it. No, not at all. Because it's, because I don't think it's fundamentally a right, the right thing to do to make other people pay for my choices. Yes. Yeah, that, or <clears throat> Even something like the minimum wage, how they want to bump it up to fifteen dollars. It's like, listen, for me, um, I'm just gonna get like a cost of living adjustment for my company. So when inflation goes up, so I really don't care what happens to me when when it goes to fifteen dollars or twenty dollars or whatever you make it, my income is gonna get adjusted as well. But what's gonna happen to you is you're gonna have less hours worked. That means you're probably gonna lose your your health, your healthcare, and your um, like dentist and all that type of stuff because you shift down to. 25 hours a week instead of 30, which is like the, the threshold to be working full time. Um, you know, you have more money, but everything costs more. So you're not, nothing really changes for you, right? That your apartment, all the people in your apartment that, you know, that fix things, their money wages are going up. You know, the people who are building, um, what do I want to say, who were like making the dishwashers and all that stuff, type of stuff, they're, wages are going to go up. So then dishwashers are going to cost more like same with you know, other appliances or cars or, you know, even bread. So like yeah, the at the end of the day, per people, yeah. At the end of the day, people making minimum wage are going to be in the same position that they, they were in before. Yeah. If, not if, you, worse. if you increase the amount of money that everyone in America has, all you do is increase the poverty line up artificially. It doesn't actually do anything. And I know that we've gotten off topic by talking about that, but my point is what do we need to do to fight the media is we need there. Mike laid out a lot of things we need to do. We need to have conservative messages in our media and we need to fight for those things. But it starts by just winning the little battles by starting to get ourselves more entrenched in those things. And, and maybe it is go and create a right wing counter to Netflix, but I don't think that starts by having to create all new content. I think it starts by finding content that isn't, isn't so blatantly anti-conservative mm -hmm. and isn't like I'll use there, uh, one of my favorite shows of all time is the show Frasier from the early 2000s, from the late 90s, early that 2000s. That doesn't surprise me at all. It's a good show. You got a problem it is, with Frasier? It, it doesn't surprise me that it's your favorite. <clears throat> I said one of. It's not my favorite, but it is one of my favorites. Frasier is your favorite great. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I do also like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I love that range. I, I love Batman the Animated Series. I also like Downton Abbey. I like I, I have a very eclectic taste. I like a lot of things. Okay, you were just making funny for, for me for watching watching Charm and you watch Charm is a lot worse than Downton Abbey. Mm. Downton yeah. Abbey is is refined. It's British and therefore automatically superior. 
It's Downton Abbey is great. Have you ever watched Downton Abbey? Because I've watched Charmed and I know what it's like. I mean, I don't watch Charmed for the plot. <laughs> Alyssa Milano has man arms. Mm. Man arms? Yeah. Have you ever seen her hairy arms? Google it. You'll find them in like two minutes. Well, that's nothing. I'm not doing that. <laughs> that's going to ruin my view of the show. Now I'm going to find them. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, here we go. Found them. <laughs> oh, I'm not clicking on that. So <laughs> I wish there was a way I could force you to see it, but I can't. But anyway, um, I watch lots of things, but I don't think it starts by having to create all new media. Like even it's a show that I never enjoyed. In fact, I actively kind of hated the show. Um, never watched it, but seventh heaven was a show that at least had some Christian messaging to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it also was way over the top and ridiculous, but you know, you can go out and you could create a streaming platform that has things like that. You can have shows like the office and now granted you can't get some of those shows now because they're owned by places, but I don't think it has to be all content that has to be created. Some of it's just good, neutral, fun content. And the reason I mentioned Frasier, for example, is the main character, Kelsey Grammer, is actually a, a known conservative um, star in Hollywood. I don't know if you knew that, but Kelsey Grammer is, is known for being extremely conservative. Mm-hmm. However, the character Frasier Crane is super liberal. His brother Niles is super liberal. The show has even got a, uh, their dad is supposed to be conservative and he's a former cop, but even he b- doesn't believe in civilians having guns. So it's a little, it throws out little things that are very liberal, but at the same time, it's not in your face and it wasn't pre and it was at a time where TV remembered that you just have to appeal to majority of people and don't be preachy at them because they just want to see something and laugh. And that's the type of shows I think you could start to win back conservatives and win back the left with because i think the reality is while the progressives on the super far left want tv to preach at them about how evil the right is i think the majority of people in america just want to be entertained and they will find something funny if it's just flat out funny very true which is why um dave Chappelle is uncancelable because people he, he refuses to be canceled and people find him funny. And so I think that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. And, and even with Dave Chappelle, he's very clear, clear, liberal. I think he's, he's supported Andrew Yang, but he also makes fun of everybody equally. And that's the thing. And like, and that's what you can make fun of conservatives. I, you don't have to not like, I will watch things that make fun of conservatives. The problem is I don't want to be preached to about how evil I am. Mm-hmm. And, and more importantly, I just, I don't need to watch something that's, 40 minutes of message and two minutes of entertainment. Yeah, I think the Roseanne show was also a good one because Roseanne and her sister had voted for um, one was conservative, one was liberal. And they had a discussion about their policies. I mean, that's a good example where it's, it's neutral. Like, I think you're right. I think if we just get to neutral first, then we can start shifting back to conservative. Yeah. I think my, my plan is like the, the step two or step three of the idea. I, I agree. And I think it's a good step, but I think to first, you gotta, you gotta take the steps up the mountain to get there. Because even if you look at what the, the golden age of television and probably the, like back when TV was really getting going, when like, I love Lucy was on the air, that show was neither conservative nor liberal. It was just funny. Mm-hmm. And that's what America used to be. It was politics were something that was a private thing that didn't have to be in your face all the time. Yeah. Well, so I, I just, I watched the first episode of uh, WandaVision and it, the first episode was, seems completely neutral. 
And see, and I haven't watched it yet, but if that's the case, I will watch WandaVision. Mandalorian, I will watch because it's not in my face. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, I have other reasons that I almost didn't watch Mandalorian, largely because Disney is actively trying to destroy all things Star Wars, but that's a whole separate point. But let's let's talk about kind of that step two, because I think the Daily Wire, for anyone who doesn't know, the Daily Wire is um, the publication that Ben Shapiro is the editor-in-chief emeritus of, um, and it is very clearly conservative. It's a right-leaning uh, news organization, but they made the decision in the announcement early this year that they were getting into media, not just into news media, but they're getting into entertainment media. And they released their first full-length film this week. And it was called, it's called Run, Hide, Fight. It, is only avail- it was available for free on YouTube if you watched it the premiere night. As of now, it is only available on the Daily Wire app. Um, but it actually did have Tom- yeah, so- it had Thomas Jane as one of the stars, although he's not in the major role. Yeah, um, so just really quick. So for people who are want to watch it on YouTube, I just dropped a, a link to the uh, trailer for anyone interested. Perfect. Thank you for doing that, Mike. And we'll tweet the link out for the trailer as well. As well. So I'll, yep. I'll tweet that link out. Um, but so it's a, it was a movie that, to their point, was their first intro into trying to make conservative films and conservative entertainment. But even this one, I think, followed kind of the tenet of it's not super conservative. It's just not in your face with any. It's just a movie. It's a movie about a school shooting, about an active shooter situation in a high school, which has sadly become a very real situation. And it's a movie about a, a girl who's kind of struggling with her mother's death from cancer. Um, and her father seems like he must have been a, they don't really get into exactly what he did, but he was probably a former Army or Marine sniper. He's taught mm-hmm. her some survivor, survival skills, and the movie opens with them hunting. And she gets there in an active shooter situation at a high school and she kind of gets thrown into the heroin role um, by circumstance. And it's a good, interesting, fun movie. I wouldn't say Mike that it was openly or blatantly conservative or, but it was definitely what it wasn't was anti was super liberal. A lot of movies now would have made the, would have tried to make you feel bad for the school shooter about how he was bullied, how he was picked on and pushed into this, or they would have talked about how gun control should have been better. So he couldn't get guns to do it. It didn't do those things, which I think was what the daily wire was going for is a movie that just let it be a movie. Yeah. So I agree that it wasn't in your face, but one of the messages is um, I thought was very conservative was it broke down the show, like the, bureaucracy like all the things that the government has in place the step-by-step process and it shows how even when following that process to the t there's still um failures and a bunch of uh deaths um in that movie from following it and one of the things that highlight is that like the policy was made public so if you're a, a school shooter you now know the policy in place for when you know you decide to shoot up a school and what you can do uh, against it. Uh, one of the things that it showed was, I mean, this is not really a, a spoiler, but you know, when you go into lockdown mode, you're, you're told to like stay in the room. Well, one of the guys was coming around with, with a shotgun and blowing the door open and rounding people up. So that idea, which he also mentioned was known because of it was out in the public, helped him plan his idea. So I felt that was a, a conservative message of you really can't rely on the on the government to keep you safe. And so I will agree with that. There were there were definitely some some conservative undertones in the messages, 
and you're right, that was a very conservative message to the film, but it wasn't super in your face. It wasn't right, like right, you, it wasn't didn't, in your face. you didn't hear characters talking about, you know, our Democrat mayor pushed this policy through, which is <laughs> exactly which is what I don't because even as a conservative, I don't want to see that. I don't need that in my entertainment. It's just irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. There was a conservative undertone that don't rely on the government to save you, be able to save yourself and that the government isn't capable of doing its job. Um, that was a message. But yeah. I think overall, it was very subtle in what it did. And for the most part, didn't try and be in your face about anything. Yeah, I think there's another message about because, like you said, she was dealing with, you know, her mom passing. So it was kind of her mental health versus kind of the mental health um, of the shooters. And it's kind of showing that you can choose to conquer this mental health. And, and so that you really don't need you, having sympathy for someone with mental health issues really isn't a good excuse because, you know, the villain and the hero both had their mental health issues. And obviously one became the hero or one was able to use it to, to save countless lives. And one was using it to take countless lives. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it even went deeper than that <clears throat> with the bullying thing where, like I said, one of the, one of the things that's become, um, a, a film that came out a few years ago that I really could not see. I was excited to see it and then it sucked. And I actually got up and left. It was called Seven Days in Entebbe. Um, and I don't know if anyone is familiar with the film or with what that is, but that is about the Israeli um, aircraft that was hijacked and taken by terrorists back in the 70s. And I went to go see the movie because it's actually, it is actually a very interesting story about how um, the Israeli special forces went in and actually saved the people on the plane and things like that and took out the terrorists. The movie literally spent 90% of the time focusing on telling you how the terrorists had been wronged by the country of Israel. And that's why they did what they did. I do not need a movie that makes villains into bad guys or villains into good guys. I don't need the villain to be relatable. I don't want that. I don't care for that. I don't need to hear their story. Um, and if you want to see that, then fine, you can watch that, but that's not what I'm looking for. And I don't need a movie that makes, the reason I mentioned this is I don't need a movie that makes a school shooter seem sympathetic as a character. Or that he was justified in any way. And one of the characters in the film, there's a point where she kind of captures one of the, the killers. She manages to, to, um, kind of knock him out and, um, you know, handcuff him. I won't get into a lot of the details, but she, she's having kind of a heart to heart discussion with this kid who's in her class and is shooting up the school. And he goes on this big tirade about he was pantsed in sixth grade and people laughed at him and they've been laughing at him ever since. And he's and the been teachers bullied, were, even laughing at him. Even the teachers laughed at him. And she points out that a, and she, this the movie did two things really well. One, it points out that she actually points out to him. Did you ever think about the people that were giggling around? You might have just been laughing because they were having a good time and they didn't think about you at all. Or that the teachers didn't know anything about this and that they were just trying to tell you not to fail because he said something about how the teacher coming said he was short. coming up short on homework, um, obviously making fun of some lack of uh, endowment. And but she's right. Maybe they, it probably had nothing to do with it. You've taken that on yourself and your choice to react is to kill innocent people. And she says that she says, so what does this do to help that now you're in, she, he basically says, now they won't be laughing at me. And, um, the counter to that is she's dealing with a loss and, and kind of talking to her mom in her head. And instead of going crazy, she chooses, as Mike said, to go and save lives. So it it does a good job of pointing out that, yeah, bullying can be real, that all those things are real and all those things should be dealt with, but that doesn't mean that there is trauma, but there's ways to, there's the correct way to to deal with that trauma. 
Exactly. It, what it shows is that being bullied, being had going through trauma is not an excuse for shooting up a school and that the, that's not sympathetic. And the other thing the movie did really well, and this was, I don't know, look, I don't know when this film was written as opposed to when the Daily Wire chose to produce it. Um, that's something I, I would have to look into, but there was clearly a, an interesting approach to it that the Daily Wire made the added, uh, took the attitude never to publish the name of mass shooters again because it's been proven that psychologically many of these mass shooters do it because they want to be known and they want to be, um, they want their name to be known. And so they, they were one of the first media organizations said they wouldn't publish names. So in the film, it's interesting because they highlight the fact that the, the mastermind behind the school shooting, his whole focus is just on being the best school shooter in history and having done the most, like being the most effective. And she essentially takes him off his guard by pointing out that no one's going to remember you. They're going to remember me. And it throws him off his guard. And it's, it's great because it does show something that we as a society have, and he even says this at one point um, in the movie that we as a society have kind of made this by posting everything on Twitter, putting everything on Facebook. We've made these people famous. So people like him, people like the school shooter now have an avenue to go and get their names out there. And they know the tool because all the other school shooters are famous. So all I've got to do is do it too. And we are guilty of that as a society. If we stop making these people famous and focus on the victims, not on the shooter, because we don't want to give them the, the satisfaction of living on in our heads, then we can not effectively, we won't eliminate school shootings, but you'll effectively get rid of a lot of that drive because it's been proven that in multi, many of the last few um, that the mass shootings, whether they be school shootings or just mass shootings, that the uh, one of the key drivers was for them to gain notoriety. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah. And to your point, there's even a, a, a time in the movie where they're trying to like save kids and, having a difficult time because the the news is making it difficult i don't want to yes. give too much away but the, the news is like you said was focused on the shooter and not the victim and that just that was a great way of them showing it yeah the, the movie did a really great job of showing how sensationalized and and um poorly handled school shootings have become and that's it, it was again it wasn't preachy it was honestly just kind of factual about how things happen in those situations and it was, the movie did a good job of balancing some pretty clear messages with just some good action and moving plot lines and, mm -hmm. and good character growth. It wasn't the best movie I've ever seen. I'm not going to go out there and say, this is a 10 out of 10. You know, it's the best movie that ever has been produced, which I saw some people on online doing. And look, I get it's a conservative movie and like, we're trying to, we want to try and win the culture war and things like that. But it's let's not be unreal. This is not like the return of the King, but it's, it did, it's a it really did good exceed my expectations. I will say yeah. that it exceeded my expectations as well, because it's, it's essentially basically like a straight to DVD movie or a Netflix movie. And it's, mm -hmm. it's well-produced. It's, it didn't have to do a lot of special effects because it was about a real world thing. So because of that, you didn't have to deal with bad special effects because like that could have been, that would have been the big miss. If they'd done like a sci-fi movie with bad special effects, kills the oh, yeah. idea right off the bat. But they went with something that's grounded in reality. And so it was very easy to do. And it was a, it was a good movie. It was entertaining. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I did too. And that's the kind of thing where um, conservatives can do more. Now, 
again, let's talk about some, some negatives here, just because for, for a second, I want to talk about this when, again, when I talk about why jumping to this stage, even for the daily wire feels like a stretch is so I went from having to pay a $4 a month reader pass for the daily wire to having to upgrade myself to $14 a month on the insider pass to be able to watch this movie. And yeah, I can go and watch the Ben Shapiro show and stuff now, but that's free on YouTube. I could watch it that way also. And I don't watch those things anyway. So I don't want the insider pass. I intentionally had the reader pass. And here's the problem is eventually they're going to produce more content, but all of it's only accessible to me on a tablet. Like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. So I had to watch it on um, a laptop and I was trying to, so I have the Daily Wire app. I was trying to do a, a cast to my TV. And I couldn't do that. Yeah, so and that's like the thing. You're I, stuck to your laptop. Exactly. Your and I watched it on my iPad, and I wanted to to AirPlay it to my to my TV because I can do that. But the Daily Wire app doesn't support that functionality, so I mm -hmm. couldn't. So I had to watch it on my iPad. Which, again, is that a is that a large gripe? No, I enjoyed the movie. But if you think about hey, is this going to be a major change that makes the Daily Wire combat with Netflix? No, because I am not going to dedicate myself to watching all their content on my iPad. So if you're going to go down this route of making people pay $14, $15 a month for something, A, you've got to make sure there's enough content to make it worthwhile. And B, you need to come out with apps that support things like the Xbox or Samsung TV or Roku, mm -hmm. like the things that people use, because that's the way I typically consume media and again, it sounds, I know it sounds nitpicky, but when I think about the bigger picture of what the Daily Wire is trying to accomplish here, which is trying to get into entertainment media, this is a good foray into it. This was a really good first step, but I hope strategically they've thought of that because if they're, if, if it goes this way for a long time, I'm not going to be paying $14 a month to watch one or two movies every three months on my iPad. Mm -hmm. um, and, and have Candace Cameron, you know, have a, uh, have Owens. a TV show that I don't want to watch or can, Oh, that's right. It's the Candace Owens. I was thinking of Candace Cameron, um, Bure, um, mm -hmm. when you said Candace Owens, but yeah, actually I think Candace Owens show is already out, isn't it? So she has a show, a weekly show on Prager U where she interviews people. Um, but they're moving to like an actual, like they, they describe it as like a talk show, like a live. I thought her, I, okay. I show. thought that was already live on daily wire but maybe it's just the other but i don't watch her stuff so yeah she's just i the, like candace owens but i don't watch talk shows yeah so right now she, what she does is like a one-on-one -on -one interview okay yeah so it's, it's, so it's pretty interesting she's she's had on there like ben carson and, and mike pence and she talks to people on the left and the right so and and that's good and like i said and that's not bad but if i think of i i just hope strategically not that the daily wire listens to this program but if you do somehow strategically you need to think next steps that if you're going to charge that premium like that's the same price as netflix is almost actually it is the same price as netflix if you don't have like uhd right and um and even with uhd it's like what 17.99 a month i think for netflix so for 14 dollars a month i have one movie i can go watch and i don't know when they've already said they're going to release more movies but there's not a timeline and i can only watch them on my ipad so all of those to me as a consumer like i want to support them because i want to concert Cons, uh, support conservatives trying to do things, but I also want to be realistic and not go spend money on something I'm not going to use. Yeah. So that's something that strategically, I think the daily wire or any conservative that tries to go into the media front needs to think about is you have to make it worth the consumer's money because just the fact that you're doing it on principle alone at the end of the day is not worth me parting with my money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think a, a good topic is that a year from now, we should kind of do like a follow-up and say, is Daily Wire worth it at the insider price? 
because like you said, as of right now, I don't think it is um, just for that. Um, I have it just because I, I wanted to support conservative media and like the, the Ben Shapiro show, um, like all of it isn't on YouTube. There's a the Sunday special that I like to watch. Um, they can get that a day earlier. I, I know they're getting like the prayer you videos, but you can still get those for free right now. So I'm not sure what the plan is for that. Yeah. You're right. And a like, lot of the content is free right now, which makes it difficult to. And a lot of the other content that you had to pay for, like, like you said, I always had a daily wire subscription, but I had the reader pass, which is $10 cheaper a month. Mm-hmm. And most of what I do with the daily wire, I don't watch a lot of their content. Not that I have a problem with it. I just don't watch it. I read their articles. So for me, the only thing I really use is reading it. So why would I pay an extra 10 bucks to not watch something? Um, But you're right. Maybe in a year we'll come back and say, hey, this is either worth it or it's not. Because I am all for supporting the organization and supporting the idea that the right is starting to make our own media. But that means we've got to actually go make it. Yeah. You can't come out with one movie every six months and put it on my iPad. Because the other thing is, I would rather watch this. I have a media room dedicated to watching movies. I would rather watch it up there. But instead, I watched it on my iPad. Yeah. So really quick for Candace Owens, it says Candace Owens, New York Times bestselling author and founder of the Blexic Foundation, will be launching a brand new show with Daily Wire early next year in Nashville in front of a live studio audience. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a show that you're right. Maybe maybe some people will enjoy it. I have no interest in watching that. Mm -hmm. A live studio talk show sounds like one of the worst things you could put in front of me. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to battle against like the view and all the other stuff. No, I'm not saying they shouldn't make it. I'm just saying like, you got to come out with content for that's a good start. Again, nothing, nothing I'm saying is meant to just destroy it. I think it's a good start, but that's content for one audience. Now you need content for a different audience because that's not content I'm going to watch. Yep. And if I'm three months in and that's the only content available to me, I'm going to look at it and say, was this worth 45 bucks? Very true. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking at their stuff right now. And yeah, a lot of this is, is free. So, okay. So let's shift gears to our nerd topic of the week, because we've been going for almost two hours now and we haven't touched our nerd topic. Um, <laughs> so everyone who's listened to us this long, thank you for listening so far. We'll get into our nerd topic of the week and then we'll uh, break for the week. But um, this week we had promised we're going to, we did a read and watch of Batman of Superman, Batman, public enemies, which in the comics is Superman, Batman, the world's finest, um, because the arc is actually not called public enemies in the comic books. It is issues one through six of the comic books um, from, I believe, 2003. Um, and the movie came out in 2009. Um, the movie's about an hour and six minutes long. Used to be on DC Universe, is now on HBO Max um, for free. So if you have HBO Max, You can go watch it. So there are actually surprisingly more differences between the two than I recalled because I've I've read it and I've seen it, but not recently. Like a decade Um, ago. I enjoyed the movie actually more than the comic in this case, which normally I don't. Normally I think the movies are good, but I don't think they're as good. I actually enjoyed the movie more than the comic. I thought it was more crisp and more well put together. But Mike, maybe walk us through the differences and then let's get into kind of quick reviews. Sure. So just so everyone knows, this is going to be spoiler filled. Like we said, the comics came out in 2003 and the movie was 2009. So, so I'm sorry you haven't watched it. So in the movie Public Enemies, um, so what is is President Luther 
is is president. Um, he's been kind of cleaning up the world of Metropolis. Um, and there's a he's he's getting superheroes to kind of join him. Then all the other superheroes are considered as lawbreakers, but they haven't really been coming at them. At least that's not that doesn't pop up in the in the comic or movie. Yeah, I don't really address what they're doing with any of them. Yeah, they just said that they're they're coming after them after the menace after the menace. But whatever. So what it is is that um, there's a giant um, comet coming from Krypton, the size of I think they said Australia. This obviously is going to decimate the world. Um, so Luther decides to try and take it out. Um, he fails. He he asks Superman for help, but when he he meets with Superman, he attacks him using Metallo. Um, then they record the video and pretty much turn Superman into a, a criminal and put a $1 billion bounty on his head. And, you know, because this is Superman, Batman, uh, obviously Batman's hanging out with them. So they 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 team up together to, to fight a bunch of the villains. Um, they dip out after fighting the villains to Japan, where the toy maker is a young, like 13 year old kid has a bunch of money, a 210 IQ, builds a, a nice rocket, um, takes into outer, and they take into outer space and they destroy the, the ship, or sorry, destroy the comet. So the difference is, is um, so one, Batman and Superman aren't actually made enemies in the, uh, in the comic. So in the comic, um, wait, yeah, in the comic, they're actually not, made villains what they're doing is in the comic they're having lois lane talk to lex luther and they plan to like show up and confront to them um wait was wait they were comic they were villains weren't they were they still had a bond on his head didn't they I, yes I they did um what was the reason why in the comic uh i see super, he didn't I, Superman didn't attack him. Oh, was just like the, the kryptonite was like making him crazy. Yeah, that's which they allude, allude to in the movie as well. So in the movie, they make it look like um, like Superman attacks Lex and then Metallo is his bodyguard, and so they like they show that footage to the world. And at the time, Lex Luthor tells the world that the kryptonite meteor is so large that it's affecting Superman's mind. Um, in the comic. He still uses that excuse it just without the without the the footage of him attacking okay there we go so he doesn't attack but there's still the one billion dollar bounty um but in that in the comics they're heading to the white house to confront lex luther and and they get attacked the same way i think the the fight plays out exactly in the movie as it does in the comics um pretty much so, yeah the, the one difference is the superheroes that are on lex luther's side um, they're missing one in the movie, which is uh, John Stewart, Green Lantern. That's true. Yeah, he's. They don't show him. He's not in the movie at all. I don't think. Yeah, not at, not at all. Which I don't really know why. Actually, I I don't either. I, I thought that was strange. Um, well, I think what it is is because they they changed how um, the evil guy kind of blew up. That they they changed. Um, because Katana wasn't in there as well, was she? She's in it, but only really, really, really briefly. They mentioned Katana at the very beginning when he introduces, when Luthor introduces who like is working with him. 
Um, and he introduces Captain Adam, Power Girl, Major Force, Black Lightning, and Katana. And I don't remember seeing Katana again. Okay, that's what I thought. Because so then when, show- when Captain Adam and Major Force and Power Girl show up to fight and bring in Batman and Superman, Katana's not there. Okay. That's what I thought in the movies, at least. But yeah, in the comics, she is there. So with major, so major force and Captain Adam, they're essentially living energy, and like their own like containment suits. So in the movie, Power Girl pretty much punches him really hard and blows a hole in his stomach, and Black Lightning contains him. But in the comic, Katana cuts off his hands with you know makes his suit leak the same way. But Black Lightning and Green Lantern contain the blast. I think this. I think Starfire helps as well. No, Starfire helps to like absorb it. So Green Lantern, sorry, yeah. Green Lantern like is containing the blast while Black Lightning and Starfire work to absorb it. But at the very end, um, Captain Adam comes in and absorbs the rest of the energy in both the movies and the comics. Um, yeah, but so before we, we talk about this, what are your thoughts on um, Shazam and Hawkman? I thought their motivations in the comics were were better. What are your thoughts? Um, well, let's let's talk about the the differences, and then we'll talk about what your thoughts were. All right, go ahead and talk about the differences then. No. Okay, so in the movie, um, Batman and Superman are heading to this federal base to um, take over some data that the toy maker needs in order to destroy the the asteroid, and Shazam and Hawkman are there to kind of protect. Lex Luthor, whereas in the comics, the JSA is is seeing Batman Superman as being rogue, so they call in the only two people that they think will be unbiased enough to be able to, to bring them in, which is Hawkman and Shazam. So it's the same same people, uh, but it's just different motivations. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I agree in the comics, I think their motivation is probably a little more pure. I think their motivation makes more sense in the comics. Um, I think the thing that the movie didn't do a good job of is explaining why all of the heroes so easily decided to follow Luthor. And mm-hmm. it's not that, it, you know, certain heroes, it didn't really bother me because like Captain Adam, this is not the first time you've seen in a, like a comic book arc where Captain Adam just becomes a servant of the United States military. Well, um, I think he does it a so lot. So at least with actually. him, he, she's like a, he's a soldier first. I, th- I think so him and major force, well, Major Force is also a soldier, but he's more of giving a license to kill. So they make sense. Even John Stewart. Um, yeah, he used to be a soldier. Yeah, he was a soldier. So, so those make sense. But there's not really any indication in the movie of why Shazam, for example, would willingly serve Luthor. There's not right. really an explanation of that. That or Starfire, who's an alien, Power Girl, who's a... Alien yeah, especially clone. because in the inauguration address they show Luthor giving, he's talking about the problems with aliens. Exactly. Um, so yeah, Starfire being Power Girl is a Kryptonian. Um, well, sort of. Yeah, even Katana really didn't make any make much sense because she, she's a Japanese citizen. So I feel like she would just would have gone home instead of actually being. Yeah, I don't even really know why they put Katana in it. I don't know why Katana was in the movie or in the comic to be honest, because she's a weird person to pick. Yeah. Well, I mean, they said in the comics that she's loyal to, loyal to Batman. That's why Captain Adam put her in there to help balance out the team. 
Yeah. And but... Power Girl was in there because she was loyal to Superman. So she wanted he wanted people that would be loyal to the the true superheroes. So yeah, but the question is why Katana would have willing. She is loyal to Batman, but I don't know why she would have served the U.S. government. They didn't really. That doesn't really make any sense. It was a weird choice in the first place. Yeah. No, I agree. But they, but yeah, they tried think, to explain it better in the comics, at least. I think the comic did a better job of explaining Shazam and and Hawkman. Um, but weirdly enough, like I said, I actually thought that I actually enjoyed the movie a little bit more just because I thought the movie the movie did really well in an hour and five minutes of kind of jumping through the story in an, in a really it's, it's boom, boom, boom through the action. And in a way that was entertaining. And I thought they got most of the major key points from the comic well captured. Yeah, they did. They did. I think my, my only complaint is, um, or I may have a few points, but the first one is that Lois Lane was more useful in the comics. So it kind of goes hardly anything in the movie. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to um, Batman Superman where in the extended cut, Lois Lane is actually being a reporter and actually being helpful to the plot. Whereas she's just like a damsel in distress in the theatrical cut. Yeah. I think that's a fair point. I mean, all of those reasons are, are valid, I think. So I would assume then you would say you give the edge to the comic books. Yeah. I get the extra comic books. I think if the movie was like a a two hour movie, I would definitely give it to the um, to the movie, but because it's comp- it's compressed, like you said, it, it covers the the main points. But I think the the smaller points make the comic book more interesting to me. I think that I think that's valid. I guess it depends on how you look at it. To me, part of the reason I like the movie better, and I really enjoy the comic. But part of the reason I like the movie better is I think the movie's more approachable to casual fans. Who don't know the comics introduce that they the whole thing introduces a lot of characters and the movie does a better job i feel of not making you have to worry too much about the characters because they're not in it long enough to really be a big issue the comics introduce a lot of characters and they don't do a great job of introducing all those characters or their motivations and so it's i think there's it leaves more questions if you don't know those characters um, right, right. as somebody who's really deeply entrenched in the DC universe, like you and I are, I think both are really good because we can read it and we know who all the characters are when they come on the page. But like, for example, one of the people in the, in the movie and in the comics that comes to take them down for the bounty is Mongol and he's being, uh, controlled by Grodd. But the first question that, that you instantly should ask yourself if you're a DC fan is, why would Mongol even be there? Like Mongol doesn't have anything to do with it. It doesn't make sense. Uh, the movie kind of glosses over it quickly and Mongol's on the screen for such a small amount of time. It's not a big deal. Um, I think when you're reading the comic, it's because that, you know, it's another character that you may or may not know if you don't know all the characters, you'll look at it and be like, and then you got to go and look into, okay, who's that? And then it just create. I think it creates more questions. I, I guess that's my point. Well, I mean, I understand your point, but at the same time, it's like Superman's like internal monologue kind of goes through who he is. He pretty much describes him as space Hitler. I thought I was like, all right, that's enough to understand. Like, all right, he's here to like conquer worlds, not to make money. So I think I I like the comic book more just because you get more of the internal monologue with for Superman and Batman, which I think is, is very interesting. The internal monologue part I do like. Um, and I, I like that this one establishes well, kind of their that how well they work as a team, just the two of them. 
um the whole the whole comic does this is a good arc for setting that up so i do like that and um even when uh superman mentions that he could have carried batman somewhere and batman you know between you and i i hate that Mm -hmm. um like it's so it's kind of funny they're they're back and forth so i like both i i enjoyed both i i wouldn't i would give both um kind of top marks but if i was recommending it to a casual fan i'd recommend the movie yeah yeah but so one example of the internal dialogue that i love is it's a remarkable dichotomy in many ways clark is the most human of us all then he shoots fire from the skies and it's difficult to not think of him as a god and how fortunate we all are that it does not occur to him like that's a good like one of the famous quotes from from batman that you don't get to hear in public enemies that you that you get to see in in the comics that's true and there's a comment from superman to the same effect about batman too yeah sometimes i admit i think of bruce as a man in the costume then with some gadget from his utility belt he reminds me that he has an extraordinary inventive mind and how lucky i am to be able to call on him from the same page yeah which, which comics that in? is that in i thought it was in the first issue but maybe it's not because no it's, it's when they're fighting fighting the villains so that's probably issue three Okay, I thought it was when they fought Metallo, but I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right where he, um, like he's he's like actually raining on fire, essentially on the on the ice villains. Okay, yeah, like I said, I couldn't remember which uh, issue it was in, but I do like that part, and that part is um, is really cool because it shows a mutual respect, and it is one of Batman's bigger quotes that actually quotes along that line get used a lot when Batman describes Superman. Um, but you don't see them very often. Mm-hmm. So I did like, I do like that. And there are some really good elements in the comics. Um, yeah. Like a, another one is, so going back to the um, uh, Shazam and, and Hawk, Hawkman. So in the comics, you know, the bat family and Superman family actually think that they're actually captured. So they're like breaking into the white house to, to free them. And then Batman and Superman had to show up to free the bat family. And, Superman is like close to killing um, Lex Luthor, the president. And Batman goes, I will not stop you. There are ways we can make it look like an accident or better still as if he disappeared without a trace. And then like his internal monologue is, it was not that long ago. I found myself in a position with a Joker. Jim Gordon talked me down, but I am not Jim Gordon. Like you, you miss all that. Like it's not important to the the plot of this you know arc, but it's probably important to the plot of you know the series that you miss out on when you're reading the reading comics versus watching the movie. So I don't do this often, but I will say I think you've you've won me over to the side that the comic is superior. I don't I don't often change my opinion on on the air, but I will say I would give the comic the edge because I read the comic um, early in the week. I watched the movie today. Um, and I had forgotten how good some of those internal lines were that you don't hear. So I think I'll, I'll give you the edge. Oh, look at that. See, see what happens when you, when you use your words instead of violence, you can convince people of your positions, people. That's what it's all about. That's what, that's what America's all about. <laughs> I, with that extremely cliche and cheesy remark, we'll end it. So thanks everyone for listening to the first issue, first episode of Mike and Jeff writing the right. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever. Um, please share us with your friends. If you haven't, please go and watch us on YouTube. You can find us at Writing the Right. You can also find us on Twitter M at MJ Writing Right and on Instagram at MJ Writing Right. Again, if you have any comments, any thoughts, any things you'd like us to uh, talk about, we did two fan requested topics this week. We'd love to continue to do more of those. So please um, send us a comment on any of those spots or comment us on, a, on our YouTube page. Or you can also email us Mike and Jeff at gmail.com. That is M Y K E and Jeff J E F F at gmail.com. And we check that regularly. So we will happily pick up your topic and, and run with it. Um, thanks everyone for listening. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks everyone.